Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with my friend Travis Wiest. Travis is the uh, owner and I guess operator, co-owner and operator with with family business, uh, Natural Bridge Caverns uh, out of New Brunfels, Texas, right outside of San Antonio. And uh, I've had Travis and his brother Brad on the podcast before. Uh, Travis actually had a desert bighorn sheep tag. That's what brought us together uh, a couple years ago. Um, and he shot a, a ram with his bow, a 10-year-old ram in Unit 15D. And um, then uh, Brad and Travis both went on a doll sheep mountain caribou moose combo up at Arctic Red River up in the Northwest Territories. And so today's episode, we're gonna I'm going to pick Travis's brain all about their their adventure and their trip and find out some stuff about gear and travel and anything about the trip that uh, he thinks I ought to know. So, Travis, how you doing with that intro there? Hey, man, I'm great, Jay. Thanks for the intro, and it's, uh, it's fun to talk to you again. So, um, yeah, you and I really haven't touched base on this trip at all, really. So I kept thinking maybe you were avoiding me. Maybe you were just wanting to wait so that you heard it all on, on <laughs> recording for the first time. Timing is everything. Um, before we dive into the episode, um, how are things at the uh, Natural Bridge Caverns? Uh, how's everything going uh, this summer, and how are the caverns doing? You know, things are going great. So we're just kicking off uh, kind of the peak of our tour season right now. Um, you know, we're a mainly attract families, and so, uh, you know, kids get out of school, we get busy. And so it's just really kicking off right now, and our summer season is getting in the swing of things, but uh, it's going well. We're having a good year overall. We're pretty hot and dry right now in Texas, uh, in this area anyway. Uh, there were some recent rains, but we really didn't get any of it. Um, and uh, But the cave is still a cool place to, to go, even when it's hot outside. It stays 70 degrees year-round, so, uh, you know, that, that's, that definitely helps. Yeah, for sure. I remember when I was out there in the spring turkey hunting with you two springs ago, I got a tour of the cavern. And I highly encourage anyone out there to go check out the caves. Um, it's an amazing big cave. Um, Travis, uh, tell the listeners, I know you've talked about it before, but um, believe it's one of the biggest or if not the biggest cave in Texas. Um, yep. And talk a little bit about it. Sure, yeah. Well, yeah, it's the largest cave in, in Texas. Um, the, the land here has been in my family since 1883, and the cave was known about, um, but always thought to be pretty small, but it was, uh, the huge portion of it was discovered in 1960 by four college kids from San Antonio, and uh, they got permission from my family to come out and explore and made a big discovery, and our family developed it into an attraction and opened to the public in 1964, and it's a third-generation family business now, operated by myself, my brother, and my mom. Uh, we've got some That's great fantastic. great staff members and team that help us get it done, but it's a fun, fun business. That's awesome. And and tell the listeners exactly, I, I kind of said New Brumfels and kind of said San Antonio, but give a give kind of an exact location so if anybody's got a trip planned, they can uh, come see you. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're right between New Braunfels and San Antonio, Texas. We're just north of San Antonio. We're about 30 minutes from the downtown, right on the edge of the Texas Hill Country. And so... Uh, yeah, if anybody, you know, wants to find out more information, I mean, they just look up naturalbridgecaverns.com and they'll find out everything about us. And we have a lot of information and great videos and pics on the website. So, But it's a beautiful cave system, really immense cave and highly decorated. And, uh, 
you know, a lot of other family activities we have here as well, and zip lines and ropes courses and mazes and all sorts of fun stuff. So, Travis, I forget when I was there, you told me, like, when you walk through, and I know you have a, a certain route and what have you, but there's it's like a mile, you know, like there's miles worth of, of, of cave there, right? Yeah, so it's, I mean, our system's over two and a half miles in length, which, you know, sounds big, but, I mean, really, relatively in terms of caves, it's not the length of our cave that makes it so spectacular. There's a lot of caves that are longer than that, um, but, but the, the room size of the cave and the volume of the, of the rooms and passages, it's, it's immense. It's really big. There's rooms bigger than football field in size, and, and so, uh, you know, by, by volume or by room size, it's the largest cave in the state, and um, but it's, you know, it's a big cave, but it's also a very, very decorated cave. There's just a lot of really pretty cave formations. Um, there's almost always pools of water and small lakes that are in, inside the cave. There's almost always water dripping and flowing, which makes the formations continue to grow and keeps everything really pretty. So um, it's, uh, it's, I mean, really, I mean, all caves are beautiful, and there's a ton of great caves around the United States, even around the world. Um, so I encourage anybody to look up what caves they have in their, their own state or you know, might be near them um, and check them out. But uh, it's a great family family excursion. That's awesome, buddy. You guys had a unbelievable trip. I remember um, getting text messages back from you and Brad and just saying how unreal the trip was. You guys were attempting to um, take your bows out there and and um, get doll sheep, mountain caribou, and and moose on a 21 day adventure. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about how it went, and then let's dive into any details along the way that you feel like uh, are super important for me to know going in on this trip uh, here in a couple weeks. Yeah, very excited for you, by the way, and a little jealous that you're you're headed up there, and and I'm not going to be headed back to chase any sheep anytime soon. But uh, hopefully, I'll get another trip planned at one of these points. But it was an amazing trip. Um, I it was the first first sheep hunt I you know was thought I was going to do. Um, I booked that trip actually before I, I found out I had drawn the desert sheet tag that, that I hunted, you know, met, met you on. And so um, that was, you know, by my expectations to be my first sheep hunt. And uh, it was certainly my first backpack hunt. Um, and and so I, I, I learned a lot. And uh, I, I really, really enjoyed geeking out on learning about, you know, backpacking and and uh you know just getting into all the gear and kind of you know you know <laughs> i bought a postal scale and i weighed everything i owned and uh, i made spreadsheets and i really i got geeked out on the food and like just trying to figure out my diet and just you know planning what i was going to take and and everything so but i i i really enjoyed the the preparation and the lead up of the hunt i enjoyed the tra- training for it and getting in shape for it and and uh um so it was it was just all that lead up experience was just was really cool and just part of the anticipation for me and then you know getting up there was just it was amazing but the uh you know i we in in the end brad and i both you know we really wanted to take our game with our bows and we uh we decided that uh, we were not going to take guns for backup and so we didn't we did not um that that bit us um in the end we we ended up not taking any game home and uh i actually never got a shot at anything, but uh, you know, I had an unbelievable experience, and which we can we can dive into the details as we get going. But I certainly, uh, you know, don't regret anything. But uh, it, it in the end, there were some times I sure felt like I was in, in a knife fight uh, or in a gunfight with a knife. But uh, yeah, so uh, but it was it so, was awesome. So 
I, I got to ask, you know, um, I'm sure you talked to people before you went that were probably saying, man, you're going to try and do this with a bow. You're going to try and get a doll sheep with a bow. Yes, people have done it, but it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, was there any part of you during the actual hunt? Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you basically hunted doll sheep for 21 days. Trying, 22, or, or, actually. Trying to get, you know, the plan was to get a doll sheep killed and then shoot a mountain caribou and then go hunt moose. And you spent the whole right. time chasing doll sheep. Was there any time during the hunt when you set, in your mind, you just thought, I just wish I would have brought a rifle uh, to come in halfway through the hunt and, and shoot one of these things? Or did you feel totally comfortable going home without one and, and, you know, knowing that that's bow hunting? Yeah, you know, so there there was one point, Jay, and it was uh, it was on day two. I actually hunted for 22 days nonstop. And uh, so it was on, on day 22, um, at the very end of the day when I knew it was my last chance and I had been on this giant ram 12 days in a row and as, as I was watching him walk away at 300 yards I was sitting there going you know what at no other point on this trip had I had, had I been like I wish I had the gun but at this point knowing that it was all over <laughs> I was like I told the guide I said I told him I said Kelly if I had a gun I'd shoot him uh, with a gun right now and he goes, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. Because, we, you know, we'd had this conversation off and on. And I said, yeah, I think I would. And uh, But in the <laughs> end, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I, I mean, I chose to do it the way I, I chose to do it. And, I'm, and I, I don't regret that at all. I, you know, I, I would not have had the experience that I had. And I would not, certainly would not have sheep hunted like that for that long. I would not have had the, the number of stalks that I had and just the number of encounters with sheep and the, you know, just the opportunities to watch them and be with them and be, you know, up on the mountain with them day after day and, I mean, climbing the mountain day after day. And the other thing, too, is I – one of the reasons I wanted to do this trip is I wanted to just know if I was physically up to it, uh, physically and mentally. Um, I, I'd never done anything like this, and, and I've done a lot of Western big game hunting. I've been bow hunting for 25-plus years taking game all over the place and several, several, you know, lot, m many Western states across Canada, um, even Africa and stuff, but I've never done a trip like this. I mean, I've never done anything this, this wild and, you know, remote and that physical. And so, you know, to me, I just really wanted to know that I could do it. And so, you know, at, at, after it was all said and done, you know, I, I mean, I, I was watching YouTube videos of, of guys up there at Arctic Red and nothing against anybody and everybody's hunt could be different, but I mean, I'm, I'm watching some videos and some guys are like on day eight and they're just like, I'm done. I can't take another day and they, they kill their sheep and they're just, you know, almost in tears about how they couldn't have gone another day and I'm sitting here going, man, how, am I, am I going to make it? And, uh, you know, when it was after it was said and done and I, you know, I was ready to go on day 23. I mean, I would have, I would have turned right around and gone right back up that mountain again one more time if we'd have seen that sheep again. So, I mean, it was, I mean, I, I, it was hurting, but I was, I was still, I was still good to go. So that was super gratifying for me. Um, and uh, having the, having had the experiences of, you know, being on, you know, the big ram that I, I was on for 12 days, it was, he was really the only really big ram I saw. Um, but he was a giant. Um, we saw another really big mature ram um, that would have, would have, I would have been totally happy with. They were actually running together. They were together the whole time, those two rams, and there was, this, there was two smaller rams with them um, pretty much the entire time. But, it, uh, you know, I, 
to get to see a ram like I saw and uh, to really get to know what a really big one looks like and and to, to you know I was I was within 100 110 yards um, I was within I was inside 200 yards six times at least and you know it just he just never did what he needed to do to give me the final shot and so and, I, and never offered me you know the opportunity to to close any further because of the terrain and and uh, times when he would move out of sight and up a ridge or across a ridge or something we would, we would pursue him hoping he was just on the other side I'd come over the top you know ready to draw my bow at any moment with just heart pounding through my chest and and that happened just time after time and again and we and he just wasn't that he wasn't quite there where we could get a shot each time and so um, just tons of adrenaline and I mean every time we would go up after him and every time I'd, I'd stalk him it would just you know my my throat would be you know, my stomach would be in my throat, and my adrenaline was just through the roof. And so, you know, I had a ton. I had my fill of sheep hunting in terms of just getting to sheep hunt. I just didn't get to, you know, culminate the experience with getting to harvest him and, and experience the pack out and eating some sheep meat in the mountains, which, you know, I, I have every intention of going back and, and getting that done, but um, it wasn't for this trip. A couple questions that, that come up with um, that story. Um, what what type of terrain was the ram hanging in? Well, let me back up. What were the dates when you were there? You're going to be you're, you were there quite a bit later than when I'm I'm going. July fifteenth is when my hunt starts. When were you there? And then I've got a series of questions to ask you from there. Sure. Yeah. So our our hunt started and uh, we were in the early September, um, right through the middle of September, and uh, I don't remember the exact dates. I want to say it was like on the fourth or something like that of September. Um, and so that's when our hunt started and yeah, I know for us, it was it, quite a bit different than conditions in years. I mean, it was pretty normal daylight schedule for us. The days were still fairly long, but I mean, we had a pretty, pretty normal kind of routine with, you know, being some darkness and light and everything. I think when you're there, it's going to be pretty much light the whole time. Um, so, and the weather started, you know, started to get colder. We saw some snow at the end. Um, the, the supposedly, According to what the guide was telling me, he said the weather was, you know, could have been much, much, much worse. We really lost relatively little time to, to weather. At least I did. Brad's experience was actually different. He was actually, we were, my brother and I were both hunting up there at the same time, doing res- relatively the same hunt. We were not together though. We were totally separate. We were actually about 65 miles apart where we were, we were each hunting, and uh, and he saw, you know, different weather than I did from from a fog and, and kind of rain standpoint. Um, but I was, the terrain I was in, I was in some really, really, I think it was probably about some of the biggest and nastiest terrain they have there. Um, at least from what I saw flying in, it just seemed like the mountains got steeper and nastier to the further south of his concession. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the rams were, were, a lot of sheep we saw were hanging down low, which they say is pretty common for that time of year. Um, which I understand when you're there, they're, they're typically going to be higher. And at the at the top, but we did we did the Rams we did chase him at the top several times and, and find him at the top, um, and uh, but most of the t- most of the Rams we saw kind of hung mid mountain, um, and most of the sheep we saw were kind of hanging mid mid mountain. Okay, um, so well, I want to co- there's so much I want to cover, but let's let's back up and let's talk about. Um, your your travel schedule coming in, I assume you probably flew from San Antonio to somehow probably came through Edmonton and then in, you know, kind of walk me through your travel 
if sure. there was anything that, that you, you know, hit right on the head and if there was anything that you would do differently, whether it be, you know, bags packed, certain type of luggage, da-da-da, any type yep. of stop, um, kind of kind of start there and then we'll kind of work our way into and back to the Ram. Yeah, so uh, we, we did fly from San Antonio to all the way up to Edmonton uh, day one and we, when we overnighted in Edmonton, um, and there was really no way, based on my flight schedule, to do that any differently. Um, we stayed in the airport hotel there in Edmonton, which I would highly recommend if you have to overnight there at that hotel. Okay, that's where I'm at that airport. It worked out great. It was a nice place. Um, I definitely recommend that. So that's a good call. And then we, the next morning, we got up early and flew all the way to Norman Wells. Um, interesting, I, I would tell folks kind of where we were hunting, all my friends and things, and I'd, be, and I'd be like, yeah, we flew to Edmonton, and it was halfway. And if you look on a map, I mean, from San Antonio to Edmonton is a long way. Well, it was only halfway there, so it was just as far flying from Edmonton all the way up to Norman Wells as it was from San Antonio to Edmonton. So uh, we did that that section of flying on uh, on day two. And How far um, are those flights? How long are those flights, roughly, Travis, in the air, like six-hour flights or? Jay, I don't remember. You stop over in Yellowknife to refuel, and you get out there and take a break in Yellowknife. So um, I don't think it's quite quite that long. Um, so it's it's not not a very long layover, but uh, I want to say but three and a half hours or something like that on each one, each leg or something like that. Long enough to make you ready to get there. Yeah, yeah, long absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, by the time we get to Norman Wells, it's like almost two days of traveling. But, and so our expectation was, and what Tavis had told us is that, you know, hey, you're going to overnight, get a hotel in Norman Wells, you're going to overnight there, and then the charter service will fly you out to base camp the next day. And so Brad and I had, we were each carrying our, our, our backpacks um, with, with gear in there, and, and I, ch- I put, you know, kind of one set of primary clothing in my backpack that I could, like, kind of, you know, hunt with if necessary, if, like, I lost one of my other bags. I had my some of like my optics and stuff, some of the real expensive kind of more fragile stuff in there um, as well. And then um, I carried a duffel, a, a large rolling duffel that I put my backup bow in, um, and then a lot of clothes and other gear and stuff in, my food. Um, I chose to pack my own food for the first 10 days um, just so I knew kind of what I thought was going to be. My expectation was that I was going to spend around 10 days sheep hunting and hopefully, God willing, I was going to take a ram, and then I was going to transition to, to moose and caribou. Uh, or I guess you kind of take the caribou kind of as it comes. Um, and so, uh, you know, but would have, would have specifically focused on moose and then caribou last had I had the chance. And so, I, but anyway, I wanted to take my own, you know, food for the first 10 days, thinking that way I knew exactly what I was carrying. I knew exactly what I was getting kind of on the more physical, more critical part of the hunt. Turned out it kind of was all that way, but um, the, uh, which I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what I would do differently on that. But so anyway, I, but we thought we would overnight in Norman Wells and we would kind of get all of our gear sorted that night and kind of, you know, rearrange our gear because they, they want you to leave your, your cases in Norman Wells at the charter service, uh, which is, uh, I think it's called Northright. And they, yep. they have like a, they have like a storage area there where they'll let you leave your rifle case and, and it needs like a big bags and stuff like that. So at that point you're going to want to be in your hunting clothes you're going to want to have your backpack, like, packed and ready to go in the field. Um, you're going to carry your rifle in your hand. Um, and then, you'll, you know, if you have, like, a duffel with other gear and stuff like that, you can kind of bring that and throw it in the plane. But all the other stuff, all your travel clothes, your bow case, your hard case, and all that is going to stay there in Norman Wells and uh, at, the, at the charter service. 
And so, but our expectation was is we would overnight that night, and then in the hotel we would kind of sort all that kind of the way we wanted to travel with it on the charter plane and to base camp. Well, we get off the plane, you know, after the flight from Yellowknife and, and Norman Wells in the charter service, one of the guys from the charter service there meets us right as we're walking out of the gate. I mean, literally, we step off the plane into the terminal, and he goes, hey, are you guys going to Arctic Red? And we're like, yeah, we're flying out tomorrow. He goes, no, you're flying out right now. And we went, oh, right now, like now? And he goes, yeah, right now. He said, let's put your, your stuff in the truck. You know, the weather's good now, and we want, we're going to fly you out there right now. We've got a load of fuel going, and so we're like, oh, my gosh. So we're, so we're like, we're excited because, hey, we're getting yeah, about the knowing hotels. You, you know. Knowing you, though, you wanted to be prepared and have a, day, a night to get everything all dialed in. You were probably a little bit panicked. Oh, well, the, just wait. The panic, it goes from, yeah, a little bit of panic to a lot of panic. So, yeah, so, I, so now, now I'm changing clothes in the middle of the, uh, the, their airport hangar, you know, I'm trying. I'm putting all my hunting gear, taking all my travel clothes off. I'm trying to frantically like rearrange my gear so that I can leave the stuff in the wells that I don't need to take into base camp. Get my bo- my hard bow case. You know, I'm getting my backup bow shoved into my duffel and carrying my primary bow and getting my arrows and everything sorted and just you know, and I, as fast as I can because they're basically like I mean sitting there tapping their toes waiting on us to get on the plane. And so Brad and I are both doing this. And so we get we get our gear sorted. It, it really we don't really get our gear sorted. We just put our hunting clothes on, and we just kind of basically get what we need to take with us with us, and then just throw the hard cases and whatever else you know within their storage area, and then we take off. And so we fly to we fly into base camp, and it's about an hour flight, um, and it's just beautiful. You know, you, you as you're flying in, it, you know, you just see the mountains which look big in the distance, and they just get bigger and bigger as you fly closer and closer to them, and then. Tavis's camp is kind of right there as you just get into the foothills of the mountains right there, um, and you, you land. It's a dirt runway, kind of gravel gravel dirt runway, and then uh, you know they they typically do a, a change out with hunters and everything right then. So uh, your buddy Brian was actually getting on the plane as we were getting off. So I got to meet him, shake his hand, see his ram, and talk to the other guys there and see their rams. And man, they had killed some big rams, and they they had killed some really big rams that season. They killed great rams last year, and. Um, so we were pumped, and uh, so we, we, you know, now we're kind of thinking, oh, okay, all right, now we're going to get a chance to, you know, shoot our bows and get settled in and, you know, pack our gear, and he's going to fly us out tomorrow. Well, And Tavis, you know, says, you know, okay, guys, uh, I really want to fly you guys out tonight. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, he goes, the weather's great right now. He said, I'm not sure what it's going to be like tomorrow. He said, I really want to get you in the field tonight. And we're like, and he said, he said, then if I get you there tonight, he said, you know, you can't hunt the same day you fly. So he said, if I fly in the morning, he said, you can't, you basically, you have a wasted day all day tomorrow. He said, if I get you out tonight, you get a whole extra day of hunting. And so we're like, we're like, that sounds great. But, oh, my gosh. So it's not, no. it's not 24 hours. It's actually when it hits midnight and 12.01, if that's a new day. So if you literally flew in at 10 o'clock at night, you only had to wait two hours. I think you're right. I, and I, I guess it's, okay. yeah, that, that's. I, I honestly, I'm not sure exactly how the law works, but I, that was my understanding is if we got there and then the, it, it, the sun came up the next day, we, you know, we could, we could start hunting. And, and so, right. but if we flew out the next day, we'd have to wait a whole nother day. Right. And so, so, but anyway, yeah, I mean, we're okay. Yep. Yeah, yes, we're going to go. And so we, now it's real frantically packing. And uh, now it's down to like trying to decide exactly what I'm going to throw in the backpack and just some of the last minute, you know, decisions that, things I'd been deliberating on, I guess, for months about what I was going to take and what I wasn't going to take. And so, uh, 
So yeah, would I mean, you I, tell I, me? Would you tell me? I mean, his letter kind of says, "Be ready to go when you land um, in Norman Wells." I also have a hotel at that same place. You probably did, but he's like, if it's good, we try and get you out right away. You would tell me, like, kind of be prepared to, like, get off the plane and be ready if they say go. Absolutely. That would be one of the big recommendations I would make is I would, you know, our, we had assumed all along I was going to – I was always prepared mentally to, like, get on the off the charter plane ready to go hunting, but I wasn't ready to get off the commercial flight at Norman Wells and immediately jump onto another flight heading into base camp and then jump onto the bush plane and go. So that all right. happened a lot faster than I was ready for, and, and I didn't quite have things sorted as the way I would have liked to have had them sorted, and I would have, I would have prepared more the night before in Edmonton had I known that. And uh, right. I was just, I had just basically thrown everything I wanted to take kind of in my duffels and kind of a way I thought everything was not going to get destroyed by the airlines, and that was really all I was worried about, so... But, yeah, so that would be the first thing I would do different. Um, and then I met my guide, and uh, my, my guide was Kelly, Brad's was Brennan, uh, and they were great. And, and those guys, man, I tell you what, that's the only thing about hunting that time of year, too. Your guides, they've been at it for a long time. Uh, I mean, I think by the time my hunt was done, I think my, Kelly had been in the field 100 nights. I think he had been at mm-hmm. camp one or two nights out of 100. He'd been in the field, you know, 98 nights out of 100. And so, wow. I mean, you, those guys, obviously, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're awesome, but, uh, you know, everybody gets tired. And so you could, I, I could tell he was tired. And, and, uh, so, uh, but anyway, we met him, uh, I met, I met, we met our guides and we talked and, and, uh, so I'd taken my own tent and, uh, took a, uh, Helleberg, uh, three plus season tent. Uh, Nyack is, was the model, a two person tent. Brad had the Kuyu, um, uh, Mountain Star two-person tent and uh and so you know we took our own tents and then i'd I'd taken i had my own food but then they told us they said you know what guys we need y'all to pack a secondary food bag right now in case we end up having to stay longer where we're at and they have to do an airdrop and so this was kind of mistake number two i made i didn't in my mind i had kind of for whatever reason i i just you know I'm I'm a I'm an optimist, Jay. So I I really thought I was going to get it done with my bow in in ten days, and I I was going to be kicking back, uh, you know, <clears throat> searching for moose. And so I kind of packed my my bag, my second bag, with the thought of, okay, that's going to be for moose camp. <clears throat> so, and and I had I had kind of had that stuff ready to go, kind of a food bag plus like an, an, another bag with other gear because. They, we fully expected the weather to get worse as the season went on, and we wanted some some kind of warmer clothes and some you know a little bit more comfortable gear. We weren't going to be backpacking and you know mountain climbing the mountains quite like we would be for the moose, and so be a little more stationary. And so I, I had some other things, some more comforts, I guess you could say, packed and stuff like that. So, but I didn't really pack all that kind of with the the thinking that what ended up happening was is you know well yeah, yeah we get to day nine or eight and we haven't you haven't I hadn't even seen a shooter ram at this point. And uh, and so you know they're going to have to fly us in more food while the weather's good because they have to they need to do that while the weather's good before we run out of food and they can't fly. And so uh, yeah, I ended up getting a food drop and I ended up getting some gear that I really did not want to have to backpack around with um, after that. And so, so you have just left it at the strip. No, I was I was six or eight miles away from the nearest airstrip when they airdropped our supplies in. Oh so, crap! So they dropped all that. 
stuff you'd packed really for the moose portion, well, you know, heavier gear and what have you. Yeah, and oh, thank God they didn't pack all of it, or else I'd have had my pack boots in there, and I'd, I'd have burned them in a fire because I would I wasn't going to carry <laughs> I wasn't going to carry those things, uh, you know, but based on where I was, and so the uh, yeah, so I, I I did I did get them to sort out a few things, and and, and they basically brought the food bag portion of it, and I had them pull out like my medicine and some other things that I really wanted out of the other kit, but I ended up with some I ended up with some an, an extra jacket, extra gloves, uh, and a stove and some other stuff that I really didn't want, you know, I ended up with some extra things that I ended up having to carry, which, you know, I, I just, you know, sucked it up and carried the extra gear. I, although I tried to get my guide, I said, you really want an extra jacket right now, don't you, or this or that. I tried to pawn some of it on him, but it, it, didn't, it didn't work out. So, yeah, he was, he was very fine being a minimalist and letting me carry all the extra crap that I had gotten dropped on me. But, um, yeah, so that's one thing I would, I would have done different. I don't know being your, your hunt kind of is intended to be, you know, a 10-day hunt or whatever in the beginning. Yeah. That you'll he'll have you he may have you pack a food bag as a backup, just in case or something. But you know that that's at least you'll maybe you'll be more prepared for that than I was. But that was probably my my second mistake there. Um, okay. Um, question with all of that: uh, When you flew in to meet your guide, your guide was already there. I assume um, you flew in on a on a uh, just in a river bottom somewhere, and he was right there, and that's where you met him. Yeah, from yeah, there, like a, from there right. how how much ground, like, did he have a plan going up drainage, down drainage, or was it like, we're just going to start right here looking and see what we can find, or what was the plan when you landed? Yeah, so, you know, after, well, you know, landing from the at base camp for the charter plane, and then once we, you know, we they take take they take everybody out on and Super Cubs, which is the pilot plus one and, and a little bit of gear. Um, that's another thing, too, I'd, you know, with your backpack and everything, you know, I mean, I had, in essence, I I had to kind of, I had so much gear and my backpack was so big, I kind of had to unkit the backpack a little bit to get it to even fit in the back of the Super Cub, which I don't really think I had extra gear. It's just that's just a testament to how small those things are if you haven't flown in them. Um, so you kind of got to, uh, you know, unpiece things a little bit and they, they shove it in the back. But yeah, once we landed, I was I was at the farthest uh, south of his concession, right at the headwaters of the Arctic Red. And it was uh, it was it was about an hour uh, Super Cub flight, and so they took uh, my guide out first, dropped him off, turned around, flew right back, landed. I jumped in, and he flew. They flew me uh, back there, and so um, Kelly already had his tent set up and had kind of a, a spot he wanted to camp, uh, which was really close to the airstrip. And so his intention was is to to hunt right from near the airstrip that first night. So Brad's was different though. Brad Brad's guide wanted to cover country as soon as they landed. And they, they did some hiking immediately once they landed. And as soon as Brad got there, they basically strapped their packs on and started hiking, and they covered several miles before they camped that night. And so it like just depends down on... down or up a drainage or up a mountain? That's, uh, they, that's it what... was moving mainly through the drainages and, and the valley bottoms. Um, okay. Yeah, there there is a... I know he does have some some routes and places. Of, the guide pointed one of them out to me, Um. um I think they call it scratch post pass or something like that, where they, they sometimes guys will go and actually take a float plane in, drop off at a lake. It's one of the few, few lakes they, they land on in that some of that area, and you, you can hike in. But I still think you'd probably overnight one night before you made that pass ascent. Um, but they said that was a they reserved that hunt for the guys that put extremely physically fit on their forms. So which I did not put. <laughs> that there. So, 
But uh, my guy told my guy told me if I ever come back that I can't lie next time. So um, hopefully, hopefully I can't. Hopefully I didn't put extremely physically fit. I don't remember what I put. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I still don't think I would put that. But uh, they told me I did pretty well. But um, the uh, yeah, so so we just camped right there. Brad hiked a ways, but it was through the valley bottoms, and then. So we basically glad that night we we saw some young rams that night from camp. Uh, we're glassing up on the mountain, and and that was the first time I I got to lay my eyes on some tall sheep uh, rams. And so uh, the next day, kind of rain kept us in, um, and uh, we glassed a little from from kind of near camp. But we, the rain and you know they they really being that my hunt was so long too. I mean we we weren't really there's really no point in getting out and going up the mountain when it's really nasty and rainy and foggy because you can't see anything anyway. So they're, they're going to really you know. I learned that we were biding time basically when the weather wasn't right, and we certainly weren't going to hike way up on top of the mountain and spend hours and hours climbing, you know, just to, you know, get up there, can't see a thing, turn around and come back down. That was, it's all, you know, about being smart with being efficient. So, um, so yeah, we come close to camp day one, really didn't, didn't do much at all. Um, and day two, we, we did our, I did my first ascent up, you know, kind of a smaller ridge. We, we got a good look of all the country around us, and, we saw several young rams, um, but we saw but two rams that had a lot of promise, and they were a little they were east and a little bit north, but they were across the river. And uh, we were I was literally camped just off the main river channel or bed of the Arctic Red, um, which at that time of year you know was just a spider web of small streams and rivers just kind of moving across this about five or six hundred yard flat valley floor, and so. We uh, we decided that, that those two rams bared enough promise to try to get closer to to get a better look at tomorrow. So that was our plan was we'd kind of seen everything that we could see kind of in that area from that spot. And uh, so we decided we'd move uh, downriver and, and try to get closer to these other two rams and get a good look at them. And so day three, we packed up first thing in the morning, um, you know, all of our gear and, and moved down the river. Well, the, that, the day before when we were hiking back, Kelly lost his crocs. Um, which you said you wanted to talk about stream crossings. And so those are very, very important for crossing streams, having something you can cross with and keep your boots dry. And so Kelly was very upset about losing his Crocs before we had even tried to cross the river. And so the plan was, though, you know, that, that we would cross, you know, and then just throw, put a rock in the Crocs and throw them back across, and the other person would cross. And it would just take more time and be inconvenient, but we could get it done. So... Uh, but then Kelly got the great idea that he was going to try to do some kind of, uh, that that was going to be too much of a pain in the butt. So he wanted to try to wrap his boots up in garbage bags and wrap his gaiters up in boots with garbage bags and duct tape. And he, he basically jerry-rigged this system where he thought he was going to cross the rivers and then just try to ooch across real fast. And so it worked pretty well until he got into the first really good section of river where he was trying to cross and he didn't take into account how slippery those garbage bags were going to be on the bottom of his feet, and he fell and went down in the river. And I was feeling really sorry for him because it's it's glacial snowmelt. It is really cold, really cold water. And uh, it was that was one of the things that was a big shocker to me is just you know that it was. I mean I don't like sticking my feet in an ice bath anyways. That that it's pretty much what it was. And it was until your feet went numb and you couldn't feel them. It was very painful. And so uh, okay, so let me stop you for a second. So you crossed with Crocs. You took your pants mm-hmm. off and just were down in your in your skivvies crossing, but you had your full pack everything on 
every time you'd get to a stream crossing, you would actually strip down. Yeah, so most of the stream crossings are, are not going to be deep enough where you're going to have to take your pants off. Um, a lot of them are just going to roll your pants up to your thighs, roll them up as high as you can get them. And if your pants get a little wet, I mean, so what, you know? So the, that's pretty much what we did. And, and, you know, a lot of, I was probably crossing the, some of the, I'm guessing probably some of the biggest stuff they had because it's the Arctic Red. Now, granted, I was at the headwaters of it. Had I been downstream further, it would have been even bigger because there would have been more stuff running into it. So, um, but, I, you know, a lot of the other tributaries that, that you guys are going to hunt, a lot of the other country that you're going to hunt is going to be in smaller, you know, smaller tributaries that feed into the Arctic Red. So I wouldn't think it would be, you're often going to, I don't think you're often going to find, you're, you're, gonna, you're not often going to cross in places where you have to take your, take your britches off and go in your skivvies, but uh, you could. But, uh, yeah, so we would just, you get to the river, you know, unlace your hiking boots, tie your laces together, throw your hiking boots over your neck, stuff your socks inside your boots, put on your Crocs, roll your pants up, strap your pack back on, cross the river. And, uh, and, this, and it, where I was, it wasn't just like we crossed a river and we're done. It's, a, it's like a spider web of rivers in this giant five, 600-yard-wide valley bottom of gravel bars. You were crossing a lot. You it's, were crossing so you, I mean, you, Yeah, you're gonna, you walk 300 yards and you've got to cross again. And then you walk. So, I mean, I just, I'm like, I never, I never imagined that I would hike with a 60-whatever-pound pack on my back in Crocs as much as I did. I covered miles and miles in Crocs with a pack on. And it was just too dang inconvenient to stop and put your hiking boots back on because you're literally two or 300 yards later, you're going to be right, right back crossing the river again. And so, in stretches there where we could we could see where we had crossed kind of most of it, and it would, might be a while. I would I would stop and, and put my boots back on. Um, and so, but in, in places you might you might go you might go 500 yards or half a mile or something with your Crocs on, just depending on how many times you had to cross. So, but I I think and, again, you're, I think that's, and you're walking on river rock as well, right? You're walking on gravel, like gravel gravel bars and riverbed, yeah, and rock. Okay. And uh, a lot of it's gravel and and, uh, and sand. And so okay. it's not terrible. You know, it's pretty flat. Um, but, but, yeah, it's not – I mean, you feel every rock in Crocs with a 65 pounds on your back. So Yeah, I was going to say uh, you're in essence just shredding your feet in those Crocs is what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, it was, I was pretty I – was, I was trying to be careful. But, uh, you know, at, 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 after a little while, your feet – my feet went – I mean, well, after the first crossing, my feet went completely numb. And every time you're back in the water, I mean, frankly, the, the sooner my feet went numb, the happier I was because it hurt like hell <laughs> uh, in the water. For the first few, for every time you you be in the water first, it was just uh, it was cold. So this Texan thought it was real cold. I'll tell you that. So <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm Kelly goes down, and I mean he goes all the way down, and I mean he is soaking wet, and I mean he comes across the river, and I can tell he's not happy, and uh, he is he's 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 pissed. And I felt really bad for him. And so we get to the next we get to the next major crossing and I mean he's determined his system has failed and so we're going to go to the you know, cross and throw the crocs back across the river method. Well, first of all, this next section of river that we get to, it's big and I'm like, I'm not I'm hope I hope we can throw the croc that far. And uh, it also looks pretty dang swift. Well, I've got the crocs on and so I'm like, Well, I'll just go and then I'll I'll throw them back across to you. I'm also in the back of my head. I'm thinking that if he misses with we miss with the Crocs, at least I'm across. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, uh, so, but in hindsight, I really wish I'd let him go first um, because of what happened next. But I, I was I was carrying my bow 
I, I, I don't know why I didn't have it strapped to my backpack at that moment. I did, and I was just carrying it in my left hand. And I had my trekking poles, for whatever reason, folded and stuffed in my pack. And so I'm carrying my bow, you know, and I, I start across the river, and it gets, it's, it's, the river's not clear. It's, it's somewhat, it's kind of grayish and murky and, and stuff, and, and so you can't exactly see the bottom as soon as it gets more than a, a foot or so deep. And so I can't really tell how deep it is, but it's starting to get swift, and it's getting deeper and deeper, and then now it's, and now it's up over my knees, it's into my pants, and now it's right at my crotch, and it's getting swift, and I'm like, oh, man, I can, I, I mean, I'm, I can tell I'm in trouble. And I, sure enough, I take another step, and I'm, I'm, I fall. And uh, I go down, and I had my, it had been kind of raining off and on, so I had my rain cover on my pack, and my rain cover literally just was like a sea anchor with water, filling, filling up with water at that point, just sucking in water, and it's washing me downstream now, and I'm the, the weight of my pack, and now with my, you know, rain cover on my pack, completely full of water, it's it's completely got me pinned under the water. I can't get up, and so. And you still got your bow in your hand, so you're basically one hand down, and you're fighting exactly. trying to swim. So I've got my bow, in, I've got my bow in my hand, and so my bow is flat on the bottom of the river, bouncing along the river bottom as I'm washing downstream. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm completely underwater. Obviously, I held my, I, I grabbed what air I could right before I fell, and then the weight of my pack just pushed me all the way under. And then the weight of the water and my, my rain fly plus the weight of my pack, I couldn't, I couldn't get up. And it's washing me downstream, and I'm, I'm panicking a bit, uh, as you might imagine. And, and uh, like, how far, how far, Travis? How far what? Like how far are you wa- How far are you washing down? Like, are you down fifty yards? Or are you uh, down? I, I don't think fifty yards. No, I mean, I, I probably. I mean, this happened fast, Jay. I mean, I, I mean, I went underwater. I'm underwater. I probably went down stream ten feet, maybe less. And and I mean, and, and immediately I'm like, I've got. You know, the first thing I did is I tried to get my feet up under me, um, and I and I lunged, and because I, I mean, I knew I had to get back up and get a breath of air. And so, uh, so I lunged up out of the water, and I, I, I grabbed a quick breath and, and just immediately fell back down under the water. Again, the weight of the pack and everything pushed me back under. And, but I could tell that I got closer to the bank, and I could tell the water was at least a little less deep. And I told myself, I said, all right, I said, I'm going to give it one more lunge. And I said, if I don't get to shallow enough water on the next lunge, I'm going to have no choice but to let, let go of my bow and shed my pack, or I'm going to drown. And so, oh, you know, smokes. there's some serious, I've got, I mean, there's some serious adrenaline, I mean, surging in me right now. I mean, it's like serious fight or flight, you know, i got to survive this, you know, moment. And, and again, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but I mean, I was scared and, and it was, uh, you know, I, I knew, I knew, I knew I was in some serious business and, uh, and I needed to get, I needed to get up where I could, <laughs> I could breathe or I was going to have to let go of some gear and, and swim and didn't, you know, get where I could, I could get some air. So, the uh, the second lunge, you know, thank God, got me just where I could I could push up with my hands, you know, and I could turn my head and get 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 air, and so uh, so at that point I was basically able to crawl out, and I didn't have to I didn't have to let my gear go, and so uh, so I crawl out, you know, water just pouring out of my rain cover on my pack, you know, I'm I'm no telling how much it was all weighed in, but anyway, so I mean, and I'm I am completely freezing cold. I mean, it is, is you know whatever darn near freezing ice cold water that I've just been been in and I'm totally completely submersed everything's totally soaked I get to the other side Kelly was I mean as you can imagine Kelly was flipping out he was he was highly concerned he was 
he told me when I made the last kind of jump up out of the water, he's like, he goes, if you, if you didn't come up, he said, I was jumping in and I was coming across, you know, to help you. He said, I thought you were going to drown. And so he, I could tell he was really worried. And I, I, I banged the crap out of my shins on the rocks when I went down. I had really big, bad bruises and they were almost like the size of, about the half the size of baseballs kind of coming off my shins and blood. And so I was, at first I thought bone was sticking out because they were sticking out so far, but I realized it was just bruising. And so uh, I kind of assessed myself. Everything seemed to be working. Nothing seemed to be broken. And at that moment I realized, okay, now my next biggest concern is the fact that I'm freezing cold and it's kind of blowing a little bit of rain and it's cloudy and it's windy and I've just come out of a river that's ice cold. And so I'm thinking like, okay, this is great. Now, okay, I'm out of the river. Now I've got to worry about hypothermia. And so, but I want to get the Crocs across to Kelly. And so I take my pack off and I'm fumbling with trying to put rocks and, I, and I'm starting to realize I'm, my hands are just getting so cold, I'm starting to lose function of my hands. And I'm like, geez, Louise. And so I'm like, okay, just keep moving, keep moving, you know. And, and, and so just, the, just the, you know, continuing to move, I, I started, to, I mean, I'm out of the water now, so I'm starting to dry off at least a little bit. And so I'm warming up enough to where at least, you know, I never like lost use of my fingers and hands, but it was crazy just how fast that happens. And I never... I've never been that cold like that. I've never been in a situation like that. And so that was, it was eye-opening just how scary and dangerous that can be, you know. Um, and so uh, it definitely, <laughs> definitely woke me up. But uh, so I got the Crocs thrown across to Kelly and he came across and I just, you know, got all the wet clothes off. And luckily I, I kept all my extra clothes, uh, which I didn't have any extra clothes really, but I, I was not wearing my, my Peloton jacket. And so um, I had my Peloton jacket. I had my, all my rain gear. And then I, I had uh, a uh, zip off, the zip off um, uh, merino bottoms that Kuyu makes, and so I just I just took all the wet clothes off. I had a, I'd carried an extra pair of socks, um, and so uh, you know I put on basically everything that I had that wasn't soaking wet, uh, which was pretty much the only other gear I had, and basically just wore my rain pants and my rain jacket and stuff. And so as soon as I got the wet clothes off, and then once I got the pack back on. And we started hiking again. Um, we had to cross the river a few more times. It was real shallow. And so, uh, but, I mean, I started to, I could tell, you know what, I'm not going to go hypothermic here. I'm, I'm exerting enough where I'm going to be warm enough to where I'll be okay. But I'm, I was still concerned. But at that point, I wasn't, like, super worried. And Did so, you lose you know, hat or sunglasses or anything in the, I'm surprised you didn't lose your Crocs in all of that if they didn't slip off your feet. Um, did well, you lose you, any gear in all that? Yes, I did. I lost my gaiters. I didn't know that until the oh. next day, but I lost my gaiters, and uh, which sucked doing twenty or almost yeah about twenty days without gaiters. But uh, the uh, that was the only thing I lost, and um, my boots got completely full of mud, and so I had to go back down to the river after we finally got where we we're going and wash my boots out and take my insoles out and wash everything out and literally like hand scrub mud out of the inside of my boots, and uh, you know get to, so they were completely soaked. But uh, yeah, that was the only thing I lost. Thank God. Um, and and my bow and my bow made it. Like somehow, I, when we got where we we're going, we got down the river ways, and the storm really started to brew up. And we're like, we got to find some shelter and get where we can make a fire. Now both of us had fallen in the river. We're both soaking wet. So we pretty much at that point just kind of abandoned trying to make make country, and we just looked for a place to camp. And so we got down about a mile and got off the, into a little side. <clears throat> ravine or tributary and, and found a place where we could set up camp and have some uh, some wood. Luckily, there was a, plenty of pine around, and we were able to make a fire, and the rain held off, and we were able. I was able to get dry. We used our paracord to make clotheslines and, and uh, you know, hung everything out we could and then just started started warming up by the fire and 
really slowly kind of drying everything out by the fire to make sure we didn't melt anything, but, you know, try to get everything dry. And so, uh, yeah, I was, it all, I, I shot my bow as soon as I could. I took some extra, you know, uh, points to change out, you know, so I could, I could practice, uh, found a soft place to shoot some arrows into and somehow my bow was unaffected, uh, more or less by wow. the, uh, the mishap. So, Wow. That was wow. Let yeah, me ask so that you a was, question. Looking looking back at that one creek crossing where you went down, would you have if you had to do it over, would you obviously cross in a different spot and and make yourself find a different spot to cross or was like that the only spot to cross? So Kelly regretted crossing there, but I, I didn't really we didn't see a better place to cross, but we could have kept walking and tried to find a better place. But it was like as far as we could see that nothing looked better. In fact, it looked worse. And so that, that looked like the best place to go. The, big, I, the biggest mistake I made right off the bat was, you know, when you're going into it, I mean, I've done enough fly fishing. I mean, I've not done a ton of fly fishing, but enough fly fishing, and I've crossed enough creeks and mountainous country to, you know, know what that can be like. Um, and I've used, you know, wading sticks for that kind of stuff before. And I'm, I'm carrying trekking poles in my pack, and, but they're in my pack. I'm an idiot. You know, I, I had my bow in my hand. I should have had my bow strapped to my backpack and had both of those trekking poles in my hands. Um, but gotcha. So you'd recommend I'll, creek crossings that are anything that's going to look decent size at all, have, or probably any creek crossings, have your trekking poles and kind of be stable all the way across just to be safe. Yeah, I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're covering country like that anyway, you're, you know, your rifle's probably going to be packed into your, you know, tucked onto your pack anyway. Um, and so... The uh, have your trekking poles out and use them, and, and I mean, and, and especially if you can't see the bottom of the water, you know, because you don't know if there's a hole there, and so you don't really know what you're going to step, and even if it doesn't look that deep. So yeah, I would definitely do that. I mean, there's, and and frankly, I, I just I don't know, Jay. I was just I, I I wasn't being very smart at that moment, but I'll I'll guarantee after that every every time when I was moving around, I had my trekking poles out and I had my bow strapped in my backpack. So, um, you know, so that was a uh, that was mistake another mistake there, but. Luckily, it all worked out, and I, it was just a just a uh, really good learning experience. So, nothing serious happened, but it was, uh, wow. it was definitely exciting. Wow! So, at this point, you've seen some small rams. You've had that fiasco on the creek crossing. Now you're making ground. Um, so far, all your gear. Well, you had your gear in dry bags um, inside yes. your pack. Did did they perform good? Excellent. Yeah, I used a couple of dry bags to keep. I had a couple, like a couple, like medium, like a small and a medium sized one. I kept my uh, I, I, the the Kuyu dry bag. What's that? The Kuyu dry bags. Yeah, Kuyu dry bags. Um, I, I used okay. the Kuyu. You know, the vast majority of my gear was Kuyu stuff, and uh, so. Uh, but yeah, the Kuyu dry bags worked great. I definitely recommend keeping. You know, your your extra any extra clothing you have. Like, I mean, you know, my when I wasn't wearing my gloves or my my beanie or, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I would, I had, I just kept it in a dry bag. And, uh, so definitely recommend doing that. That's a no brainer. And, uh, also helps with organization and keeping your gear organized too. So that, that worked out really well. Um, the, uh, one of the things I would, I'd recommend too is, you know, have your gear sorted and kind of done in a way in your pack. Um, when, every time we got where we were going and we set up camp, typically once we set up our, our camp, we would typically camp kind of in the valley bottoms, um, we camped only one time at any kind of elevation at all, um, or I guess twice, but it was still fairly, it was really relatively low, low down. Um, and then we would, you know, they, we would leave a bunch of gear in the camp 
and then we would hike up and basically day hunt up and back that day. And so, so I, you know, it's, it's nice when you, if you can have your gear and your food sorted in a way to when you get your tent set up and, you, you know, where you, you are where you're going, you can just kind of take that extra stuff out of your, your pack that you're not going to want to day hunt with, basically grab one day's worth of food. Maybe we typically grab two days. He always said that was a good idea to have an extra day's worth of food in case we got, you know, we, we camped out on a sheep or got caught out and stayed out the complete night to have a little extra food. So I didn't take complete two days worth of food. I took a whole day, you know, whatever I was going to have that day, plus I took a little extra kind of emergency food, and I just kind of kept that in like a kill kit, the emergency food plus my kill kit, you know, with my uh, my game bags, um, you know, my knife and my headlamp um, and just some other kind of necessities and stuff like that that I kind of would have. And then once we got where we're going, I'd kind of unload all the un the stuff that didn't have to go up the mountain, you know, while I was hunting, and the stuff that could stay there in the tent. Obviously, your, you know, sleeping bag and your, your, you know, pad and, you know, extra food and stuff like that are kind of the basics of it. But, you know, uh, there was a few other little knickknacks that I kind of left. I left my sat phone. Um, I had taken a sat communicator that I hooked up with my iPhone, and I left that in the in the tent during the day because Kelly had a he had a sat phone. So I figured if you know if you know I didn't we didn't both need to carry a sat phone up on the mountain. I wanted to have my own so I could talk to my family and communicate with them and Brad on the trip, but, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't carry it up the mountain every day. So I tried to pretty much anything I could take out that I wasn't climbing because the, the climbs were brutal um, going up. Okay, what about uh, um, binoculars? Um, did you bring up your own spotting scope? What binoculars did you bring, and did you bring a tripod? Yeah, so, uh, so on the, the packing gear, like going back to that real quick, so one of the, one of the surprises I got at, at the camp when we left when I was first packing up is, you know, Kelly walks up and he says, here, take this, and it's very heavy. And I'm like, what is this? And he goes, well, that's your salt, and that's fuel for the stove. And he said, that's your share of the fuel. And he said, you've got to carry your own salt, you know, for your hide. And I, I was like, it was over two pounds. And I'm like, I've been counting ounces, you know, for like months counting ounces, ounces here, ounces there, you know. And, I mean, and here, the, you know, out of the blue, here comes an extra couple of pounds that I had no idea I was going to carry. So that was kind of a blow, you know, to my, uh, you know, I guess uh, morale right off the get-go. But uh, be prepared for that. So, uh, yeah, and I, I, I didn't, I just, I guess I didn't read between the lines on the stuff that uh, they had sent me prior that that was going to be included in my gear, but uh, it probably was all there. When you but. had to carry extra fuel, did you have your own stove or did you guys just have one stove? I could have carried my own stove. I chose not to. I had it in my moose kit, so I ended up with it on the, the second half of the trip. Um, but I did not intend to have it. And I, no, I, we were just going to use one stove. And I, we, you know, he carried uh, fuel. I carried uh, a little bit of fuel. He was going to. He was going to. Kelly was going to take his spot and scope and tripod. Um, we talked about it. Um, and I had a phone scope kit for mine. And uh, so I, I suggested that we, you know, just take one. Uh, to save weight, and that we take mine, and uh, he agreed to take to carry my tripod, and I carried my spotting scope, and so we cut a little bit of gear out that way by sharing that, and uh, it worked out great. Um, you know, I know we debated this long and hard about whether I was going to take my own or not. Um, in the end, I don't, I don't have any regrets about that at all, and kind of, I'm kind of glad I didn't have any extra weight. Although, I, I mean, really, the tripod did, didn't really add up to hardly a thing at that point. I was carrying the heaviest thing, but you know, um, had, had I just let the guy take his own stuff and I took mine, it really wouldn't have been that much more. So um, that's a personal decision I guess you'll just have to make. But that's how I did it. So, and I, I, had he not been willing to do that, I would have just taken my own because I really, I'm, and I really am really glad I had the phone scope kit. 
I got tremendous pictures and video and, you know, just I, I, I treasure that because that's really the trophies that I came home with, you know, was just the memories and the experience. And, and uh, you know, I, if I hadn't had that phone scope, I mean, it, there would have been a lot of the, you know, I mean, so many of the sheep pictures and caribou pictures and stuff that I took, that grizzly bear videos and, and everything that I took that I just, I wouldn't have gotten those great, that great stuff. I mean, I, I got pictures and video of a wolf, you know, like 300 yards away through the phone scope. I mean, it's like, you know, so I got some really cool video and pictures, and I, I definitely would would highly recommend. I know you, you use the phone scope stuff too. So, um, what binos around your what binos around your neck, and what tripod, and what spotting scope? So I uh, I was carrying a Leica ten by ten by forty two binoculars with a rangefinder in them. Um, I took an extra rangefinder, handheld rangefinder, and and I gave it to Kelly to carry. Um, so that way, if we were together um, and he could he could range, or if my my binos or whatever you know went out or whatever, then there was an extra rangefinder. Um, and I had I had pre-tested mine so that I knew it ranged exactly like my binoculars, and at even with angles. And so I, I was confident because I've had some experience with other rangefinders not you know doing the exact same thing, and you know with the angles and stuff with the you know, that we'd be shooting, I wanted to make sure that you know whatever I was taking ranges off of was accurate. So I did that. I also had, took an extra camera, a waterproof little point-and-shoot camera, and I talked to Kelly at the get-go, and I told him that I really would like him to carry that camera so that you know I, I was actually in some of the pictures and uh, that I wouldn't just have to take a selfie to be in a photo. And uh, right. I just told him that was really important to me, and he was great about that. He, he, it, you know, he struggled with it a little bit. I had to remind him. He, he's not, he wasn't much of a picture taker, but he, he, he kind of got going with it, and he ended up taking some great pictures, um, and I'm really glad that, that, that he did and, and that, that we did it that way. So he kind of had a camera, that, and he was able to turn around, you know, while we are on the trail or going up or down the mountain or just whatever, and, you know, I'm crossing a creek, you know, and he's, he's able to snap photos, you know. Um, and so that, that worked tripod? great. tripod? Tripod I took was a slick, um, uh, I think it's a 624. It's a real compact uh, carbon fiber tripod, and I put the, the micro outdoorsman head on it. And I ran the, the Swarovski 65 millimeter, um, the modular system. I forget the name of it. Yeah. Yep. You, you know the, it. The, the STX, the straight or the angled? Yeah, uh, the angled. I ran the angled one. And, uh, okay, so, so was the 65 millimeter in most cases enough of a spotting scope um, yes. for, for the stuff you were looking at? I thought it was, you know. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty green compared to you and, you know, hardcore sheep guys, but, I mean, I, I thought it was, and uh, I, thought it, I thought it did a great job. So I, I, I don't really think you would need it, I mean, to take. And then, take so you would mount the binos. Would you mount the binos to that tripod or just the spotting scope? And then would you just handhold glass, or would you also glass off the tripod? So my, they didn't. They don't make a good outdoorsman adapter for my binocular. It's like a, it's like a clamp that they make for right. mine. And so right. had I, I, I have Swarovski's uh, ELs that have that stud in there. And had I had that system, I probably would have taken that, that, that adapter for my, for the tripod. Well, actually, that, that. Just that little post, and it goes right on the head I have. So I would have taken right. that. In the end, I don't really think it's something that that's that needed. The glassing, it's you know how when we were sheep hunting in, in the desert, and you kind of a lot of times you would pan quickly with your your handheld binos before you would really sit down yeah. and like hardcore glass at longer distances. The vast yeah. majority of the glassing is more like that. You, they're pretty easy to spot, and and you kind of it's a lot of it's 
quick panning, and then it's, I mean, you're, see, you're seeing sheep, you know, man, okay, there's some, and then you're immediately going to the spotting scope. And so okay. had, had I been so spotting using my... Them is not a, spotting them is not an issue. It's more like, okay, there's some sheep. Let's see what they are, not oh, where absolutely. are they. Kind of like the desert sheep where it's like, oh, no, you got to really look for them and sit down and really glass. This was more like white dots and pretty easy to spot. Yes, and, and, and oftentimes then, you know, we would, we would just sit on our haunches, put, you know, prop up on our knees, glass, and then you'd see something and you'd be like, man, I think that might be a sheep or that might be a white rock. And so we'd put the spotter on it and look at it. And, you know, that's about 50-50 of the time it was a rock, 50-50 it was a sheep. And so, but a lot of times when they were closer, I mean, it was obvious it was sheep and you just, it was, okay, is it ram, is it use, you know, you know let's check it out. And so, you know, we were in the, you know, I mean, we were passing the spotting scope back and forth constantly. We'd sit next to each other. We'd be glassing, and, and he'd, okay, pass me the spotter. Look over here. Okay, no, that's used, or that's a small one. Okay, hey, there's some sheep over here, you know, and look over there. I'll pass the spotter back, and we just kind of go back and forth and, and until we found something, you know, a ram we really wanted to look at, and then, you know, we just just kind of study it and, and, uh, and check it out. So it, it, it was in- – sharing, sharing one was never an issue for me in my hunt, um, and uh, but I could, you know, I could see how it could be for some guys, but – in, in general, obviously every place is different. It's such a big area. In general, how many sheep were you seeing, you know, rams, ewes, and lambs every day? You know, how many rams, how many ewes, how many lambs? We saw over 100 sheep. Um, uh, Kelly kept the final tally, and I, I didn't do a good job in putting that in my notes, um, uh, what the final tally was. Um, I kind of have it in some of my day-by-day logs. Yeah, yeah, roughly, I want to say roughly we saw probably somewhere in the 30 to 40 rams and pro- over 100 sheep total. Um, mostly mostly what we saw, you know, day in and day out was using lambs and, and, and then a lot of really small rams. I, I did not, we struggled to find a, big, a mature ram. Um, it wasn't until, you know, I guess it was day, it was day seven or eight that we, we bumped into the big ram and, and, his, and his buddy. And, uh, and at and that point, how much more ground had you covered, or or let me let me back up. How much ground were you covering each day, and were you moving camp every single day until you finally found that ram, and then you camp kind of camped on it? Yes. So the first we we stayed in the first campsite two nights, and then we moved. We stayed in the next campsite one night, then we moved. Um, we stayed in the next campsite one night, and then we moved. And then we, we, we were, at that point, we were trying to cover cover a lot of country, and we basically just hiked until it got dark on us, and we, we, we just then frantically searched for a place to camp. And, and today, we, it was actually a really cool camping spot. We camped right on the edge of this big bluff. We were kind of coming around this, this uh, coming around the mountain, and there was a, a, a big blood, a pretty pretty big bluff below us. And uh, so much so that my guide, my guide was actually more nervous about heights than I was. It was really funny. Um, and uh, he he didn't want to camp as close to the bluff as I did, but so he went up went up a little bit above me. But um, so and then then we we picked up the next day, moved again, and <clears throat> at that point we had, you know, I think we went about uh, ten miles or so from the day before, um, and and got got in there and then found a bunch of sheep and tons of ewes and lambs. So you were ten miles from where you were the day before, not ten miles from the drop off point. How many miles were you from the drop off point? Well, at that we we so we actually doubled back. So we went we we went to the north, um, looking at those two rams we'd seen from a distance. We ended up getting up get finding them, 
And the first, the first one we found, he was a seven-year-old, beautiful full-curl ram. This Texas bow hunter would have been real happy to shoot him, I'll tell you that. But Kelly wasn't even about to let me get near him. Um, it was kind of like you and the desert bighorns, and it's like, give me your arrow. Yeah, I know that. I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know that. You know this guy. So, yeah, so uh, anyway... But it was, you know, this was early in the hunt, so it, I, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was going to cut his Achilles at this point and just run off after the sheep. But uh, had that happened, you know, another five or six days later, I might have. But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of forgot where I was going with that. But well, was um, I was asking how far did you cover from the original drop-off point? Because you said, oh yeah, yeah. When you so, finally found that one place, you had moved ten miles from the day before. So you guys moved ten miles in one day. Yeah, about yeah, I'd say it was about a day and a half in total. I'd say so. We we but we went we went north at looking at those the, for those two rams until we found out they were younger. So we ended up doubling back and coming back across where we'd already been. Um, and and I think ideally Kelly kind of regretted that it worked out that way. But we kind of got suckered by those two rams that we saw from a long ways off to go north. He really wanted to go south the whole time. And so, we, we, you know, we ended up going north, and then we ended up having to double back and cover all that again, coming back the other way, and then, and then loop around the mountain to the south and, and then um, to the uh, west. And so, you know, by the time we got where we were going um, into the country we really wanted to get into, uh, after we kind of explored everything that was right around there, you know, we were six miles or so from the airstrip and uh, about, and... We we that was this was kind of the one point in the trip where I I really got my first gut check and because uh, I was getting pretty tired at that point we'd covered a lot of country and and we get we kind of get back in there and we we see four caribou bulls and two of them are big one of them is giant and I was pumped and so I'm like let's go let's go let's go and Kelly's like whoa 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 you know you, you realize what we're, what it's going to mean if if we kill one of these caribou right here. And I'm like, okay, lay it on me. And he goes, all right. He goes, well, we're you know six or so miles from the nearest from the airstrip. Uh, there's no way to get this bull you know out except to hike him all the way back. And he said he's too big for us to carry our entire camp plus him back. And so he said we're going to have to shuttle him. And he said so you know we take whatever the mileage and you know what it's going to take to shuttle him, come back, grab gear, grab camp, go back, pick him up again, move it further. And he's like, by the time it's all said and done, he said we've already hunted all that country back there. He said, so we're going to have to turn around and come right back into here. He said, so by the time we're done shuttling him out and we hike all the way with our full camp, hike all the way back into wait here. Days. 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 A couple. He's like, he's like, you're going to burn two days. And he said, it's going to whip our butts. And he said, it's going to whip your butt. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, I forgot the mileage estimate. He did, just, he did a quick, rough mileage estimate. He said, it's going to be about 18 miles, you know, you know, with under full loads plus meat and stuff too and i'm like holy smokes you know and i was already pretty tired from the day before and so i mean at you know he's he's basically he's not trying to talk me out of it but he's trying to talk he's me trying out trying to of it. talk real with yeah realistic he's trying to talk real with me he really was and so you know i i and so we're just i'm looking at this bull and i'm through the spot scope and i mean he's in a great place to stalk jay the wind's right i've got a like a Lower, like a ravine I can uh, move through to get close to him and come up, you know, with the wind in my favor. I'll make, and he's giant. I mean, the, he estimated him at like 430 or something, like 420, 430. <laughs> I mean, he is huge. And so, I mean, and at this point, 
I, it literally took the wind out of my sails to like set, to, to to not stalk that bull. It like mentally deflated me, and I was I was literally depressed at that point. I was like, "What am I doing? I've trained so hard to be here. You know, here I have this opportunity. This is what this is why I've worked so hard, and I'm not even going to go after this bull." I'm like, and at the same time, like I I knew I was I kind of didn't really know what to do. I wanted to go after him, but at the same time, I was like, I don't want, I mean, I came here to hunt sheep primarily, and it's day seven, and we haven't even seen a, a, a shooter or a mature ram yet, like a fully mature ram. And so I'm like, I'm like, man, I lose two days to totally whip myself to get this bull out of here. So I kind of I kind of felt like I was making the right decision to not stalk him. And, you know, so we kind of move up into the valley, and the, we kind of push the bull up the valley. They, they kind of go up the mountain because they see us now, and we set up our camps, and we 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 move up the mountain to kind of glass, and we're we're up on top of the mountain glassing. And I mean, I, I Kelly, I guess, could just sense something was wrong with me, and he's like, Travis, what is wrong? Because I, you know, I'm a pretty upbeat chipper guy, and and uh, he's like, dude, what's wrong? And I said, like, Kelly, I said, man, I said, I'm just that not going after that bull has really messed me up. I said, I'm I'm depressed, and he's like, man, he's like, well. And he said, dude, if you really want to go get him, he said, we'll go get him. He said, I'm crazy. And he said, it'll kill us, but we'll do it. And, you know, it's like, and I'm like, I, and about this time, they, the, the caribou start working their way back down the valley. And so now they're like, you know, 600 yards in closing coming down below us. And I'm, I'm telling myself, I'm like, man, I can't, I'm not going to live with myself if I don't go after this caribou. And so I'm like, Kelly, I said, we got to try. I said, I got to, I, I said, we, if we get him, I said, you know, you know, whatever it costs. I said, I'm, I'm willing to pay the price. I said, I, I've got to try. And so he's like, all right, let's go. So, I mean, no, no sooner had we started down after him and for whatever reason they do what caribou do. And they just decided they were leaving the country. And I mean, like, I'm not kidding, Jay, within a matter of minutes, they were miles away. And, uh, so they, they, they kind of, they beat they feet and got out of there. Yeah, they just they just beat feet and got out of there, and they just moved on. And so that, that was that that dilemma was over. And uh, I, at least I, in the end, I, I decided to chase him. Although I kind of wished I'd have decided that sooner. But um, but it, you know, okay, in the end, couple questions. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, couple questions. Do you think you know? Obviously, I'm. My, uh, the mountain caribou isn't even open. Do you think just having a doll sheep tag in your pocket is not a bad thing? You can see the grizzlies, you can see the mountain caribou, and take some photos and some phone scope, but you can stay uh, focused on task at hand. You're not even, you know, you don't have any mental games of like, oh, should I go after it? I'm focused on doll sheep. Do you, do you see that being a good thing with me? Yeah, I do. I think that it, you know, and, and the great thing is, Jay, you don't have to have the dilemma about whether or not you can have a caribou tag in your pocket because it's not even caribou season then. Right, right. So yeah, that's a um, good thing for you. So now, okay. if I if when I book my next sheep hunt, I'm I'm not going to go after three species at once. I'm going to go sheep hunting, and I if it is caribou season, yeah, I'm going to have a caribou tag in my pocket. And if and if one just right. happens to fall in my lap like Brian's did, right, you know. Then yes, I will. I'll be. I'll gladly shoot him. And uh, you know, I might even. I'm, I'll probably even work work hard if one doesn't fall on my lap to try to get one. But I'm not going to do it at the expense of my sheep hunt. So, right. Okay. Um, and the next question: uh, Talk about sleeping pad, sleeping bag, and actually sleeping in your tent. Anything you would change? Anything you would do different? Um. 
man, I'll tell you what, I was really happy with my sleep system. I slept fantastic. I, I, the couple things I really, I really was happy with were my food. I really, I, I, hear, I hear all these stories about people that go up and they're like, oh, you pack all this food and you can't eat and you're not hungry. And I'll tell you what, I was ravenous. And I ate, I ate everything and I would have eaten more. And I had 4,020 some odd calories a day that I had packed. I basically kind of followed Jason's kind of food recommendations in his videos and stuff, and I packed my kind of my own mix of that, but it was about two pounds a day, and it was a little over 4,000 calories a day, and um, and I was glad I had every bit of it, and I ate it all, and I think that was one of the things that kept me really going strong and, and you know, pushing hard, um, was having, having plenty of calories and plenty to eat. And then the, as far as the sleeping goes, I slept great, the uh, a lot of the ground you get to sleep on there, there's like this uh, it's tundraish you know kind of mossy covered covered ground and you can find a really soft place and it was like sleeping on a mattress. Um, I, I used a Thermarest Neo Air um, pad. I used the regular um, pad, not the long, and uh, it was it, it was great. And so you probably could get away with the short pad. Being that, that that so much of the ground is so soft, um, just having that insula that that shorter pad. If you're really trying to cut weight, they make one that that just kind of covers your, I think, kind of from your thighs up to your shoulders. Um, yeah, I have but, a long uh, pad anyway. I'm I'm taking the long. Um, yeah. What about your sleeping bag? Sleeping bag. I use the Kuyu uh, Super Down. I use a Zero bag, but you know we were ha- going to have potentially have cold weather. There was only three or four nights that I completely zipped up in the bag, and there was a couple of times I actually zipped up and put some extra clothes on. Um, I, I sleep kind of cold, though, um, so I was really glad I had the zero. Um, I know your hunt's going to be quite a bit warmer than mine, at least I would suspect it would be. And uh, So I don't know if you're going to go with a, a 30 or a 15, but I think either one you'll go with will be, will be good. I'm going with a 30. Um, okay. I think I missed what you were talking about, places to sleep. Um, it's it's not all rock. You can actually find some mossy stuff, you said. Okay, well, I mean, again, you know, his concession is gigantic, and so the place, places you could be hunting could be very different from where I was. But um, we, we almost pretty much every night we found a pretty soft place to sleep, and then some, sometimes we found places that were, like, ridiculously soft and comfortable to sleep in. And, I mean, I, I slept like a baby. So, obviously, one, you're working so hard, and then, two, when you find a place like that, it was just it was really comfy. So, But, uh, okay, yeah, we never moved. Go ahead. The, the next question is, I mean, you we hunted around some of that desert sheep country and the loose rock and some of that stuff. When you saw the pictures of Arctic Red and you were training and preparing and you're getting your feet ready and all of that, once you finally were there, was it more intimidating once you got there, less intimidating, exactly what you thought? Tell me about, like, the, you know, you, you, I heard you say earlier, like, the steepness and the, the hiking was unbelievable. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so it was uh, the the country, it's just so big, and, and, you know, you get into it. It's just also, it's so epic flying out there, and you're flying into the mountains. It's like you're flying into the Lord of the Rings movie. I mean, it's just unbelievable and so yeah I, you know it they have some awesome videos online and they, they were great pictures so i mean i kind of had a pretty good idea but until you get your you know you're out there and you're on it 
it was really hard to know. So I'd say it was it was it was about what I expected, um, but I. It was just it would surprise me how long we would climb like up, you know, and just hike up. We'd hike up hours and hours and hours just straight up, and it was just you know just all you do is just hike straight up, you know. Sometimes climb climbing it seems like, and so the uh, and the uh, how did your feet hold up in your boots and you know did you I did ran, you luco tape up? Did you double socket? What did you do? I did. I wore I wore a two sock system. I wore a fits. Uh, kind of mid-weight, a real, real pretty thin weight liner sock, um, which is 100% merino, and then I, ra- I ran a darn tough uh, merino sock over it. Um, and that was just kind of me. I based my sock fit based on my boots and kind of how, how I thought my, I wanted my boots to fit. Um, I kind of have a yep. tough I, I have a wimpy foot, and it's hard for me to get good fit. Um, I ended up really liking the Kuyu um, Rebel K boots, um, and I put a ton of miles on them before the trip and really had them broken good. Had my, I, I tried everything I could to toughen my feet up and get my feet broken and, and stuff. And so um, the, uh, all in all, I thought, I, I thought my feet did pretty well. The, there's, the toe box in that boot is pretty snug, and I, yeah. I, because I never spent that much time and put that many miles with that much weight, uh, and then just also the toe, so much toe point climbing, um, I, I, I ended up really pounding my toes really, really hard, and I and actually I, I had some blisters, but they weren't bad. I, I did use Luco tape, and I carried it with me, um, and I kept the places that I had had issues in the past, like on my heels, and then a couple of my toes on the outside, a couple of my toes, I kept those just taped from the get go, and I just I replaced the tape like after ten days, and it was great. Like I never had any issues with blisters per se, um, and uh, I think. A, having toughened my feet up as, in as much hiking as I did, and then B, using the Luco tape and kind of pre-taping before was was key to that. Um, but did, but what did you use different really insoles? Me, I did. I used the Lathrop and Son insole, a custom insole that they make, and I, I, okay. I used that inside my boot, and then I kind of fit my socks and everything based on kind of the size of my boot. And um, I, I, I even upsized the boots, so I ordered, ordered my boots originally in a 10 and a half, and I, I hiked in them and, and did a lot of miles in them, and then decided I just it just wasn't enough toe room, and so I, I upsized to an eleven, but still in the end, and I guess your feet swell, and then just the massive amount of pounding that you do, I ended up having nerve damage in my my toes, and it was in both both feet. I I pretty much lost feeling in in my feet my, my, in my toes for it was about forty five to sixty days, I bet, um, for it to finally come back. It was months, and it was it was it was. Bad too it was I, I just I lost feeling, but it was uh, it was like a stinging, stabbing pain, the nerves in my, in my feet, and so that was the only hard part for me. It was just that that was that was kind of you know dragging me down a little bit, but it it wasn't that bad um, that I couldn't push through it, and I just kind of sucked it up and then and 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 just pushed on, and then uh, but it took it took a month or two for that to go away after the trip was over. So all in all, it did beat my feet up pretty good, and, and I, I think uh, I'm not really sure what I could have done differently to, to avoid that. Um, it, it could just be my, my personal issues, too. I don't know. And not, not having any, done any other trip like that, I really don't know. But all in all, I was pretty darn pleased, you know, um, with the way I held up. Were, on all your hikes, were you using your trekking poles at all times or not? Um, I'd say 
the vast majority of the time, um, when we were, 100% of the time when I was going downhill, I would use the trekking poles 100% of the time, and they saved my knees big time. And my knees got sore. I used ibuprofen every day, um, and, and that, was, that, was, that was a huge saver. Um, again, hiking up, I didn't always use the trekking poles hiking up, but I did a lot of the times, but it wasn't, wasn't always. Um, a lot of times, you know, I was I, sometimes I would carry my bow in one hand and hike with one pole. Um, sometimes I'd strap my bow to my backpack. I, I did that a lot of times. I'd strap it to my backpack and just and go with two poles. And sometimes I actually found that I, for whatever reason, I, I could almost kind of move better through some of the rough, really rough terrain without using the trekking poles and just kind of balancing and kind of going through it. Um, that seems kind of weird, but at times I was... I mean, the trekking poles are an absolute necessity, in my opinion. I would I would not do that trip without them. Um, I know you like using trekking poles, but I would tell that to anybody: don't go without them. Okay, I want to take just a second here. I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider. They're the title sponsor of this podcast. They've been with me virtually from the beginning. I want to encourage you guys to sign up for the Go Hunt Insider. If you use the J Scott promo code, you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card immediately that you can spend. The Go Hunt is the best Western hunting resource out there if you're putting in for all these Western states and want to look at the uh, most accurate draw odds and statistics in order to find those units uh, and those animals in those specific units and states. Uh, Go Hunt Insider is the best tool out there. Use the J. Scott promo code. I want to thank Lorenzo Sartini and his crew over there did do such a great job at GoHunt.com. Uh, check them out. They have uh, a free portion of their website, GoHunt.com, and then the GoHunt Insider. I also want to thank uh, the Outdoorsman's uh, 1-800-291-8065, or you can go on Outdoorsman's.com. If you use the J. Scott uh, promo code, you're going to get a 10% uh, discount there, and then Kuyu.com, that's K-U-I-U.com. We've talked a lot about the gear in this podcast and on other podcasts. Um, I'm also going to be out there on June 23rd in Dixon, California. I'm going to be giving a seminar as well as Jason Harrison, the founder, uh, Brendan Burns, Paul Bride, and uh, Lance uh, Kronberger. Uh, if you're anywhere in the California area, make a trip up. Love to to um, meet up with the podcast listeners. I know there's already a bunch of people that have RSVP'd. They're going to be giving uh, $250 gift certificates out at each seminar for Kuyu gear. Uh, so come out and see us. I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship. Travis, uh, talk to me about drinking water. Um, did you filter any water? Um, how you know? Did you use water bladder? Did you use a Nalgene? What what did you use? Did you find water up on the mountain, or was water only in the bottom, and then you went all day without any access to water? Okay, so I used an Nalgene, which I carried in a in a, a little carrier on my hip belt of my pack, um, and I, I took a three liter platypus bladder. Um, just to have to be able to carry extra water when it was needed and for camp and stuff like that. Um, the, uh, the there's access to water pretty much everywhere, kind of mid mount real. I'd say like lower third and down in the bottoms. Um, there was water everywhere. Good drinking water. It was great. We filtered none of it, and it, it all tasted fantastic. Um, they 
you know, they told me going up there, they said that nobody filters the water, nobody has any issues, don't bother bringing any kind of filtration or purification stuff. And, so, and I did not and had no issues. So um, I think you can feel pretty confident rolling that way. Um, I really liked having the Nalgene um, because so often we were filling out of uh, little streams and, and creeks and stuff, um, and it was just so handy to just bend down, scoop up some water and drink. Um, and it was quick. Um, I... I made the mistake of carrying too much water um, for too long, um, for several days, um, and, and I kind of started to watch how my guide did it, and, and he would carry almost no water. And, and he would, every time we passed drinking water, he would reach down, scoop up some water, drink, 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 scoop up some more, drink, drink, and then he'd pour it out and go on. And, and it, so In other it, words, he wasn't carrying around a three three-liter platypus full no. and all that. He was just no. drinking as he, he went. and he, he didn't even carry around his, his Nalgene full of water. Um, and so, so yeah. I, I, I kind of I, I caught on that, that there was absolutely no reason to carry that platypus with water in it because three liters of water is heavy. And uh, I think a liter of water weighs 2.2 pounds or something. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I caught on pretty quick that, uh, that way, as long as you're moving through the lower country, you have access to water pretty frequently, and I mean, I, I would carry about a half an algae just so that I could drink right when I wanted it, whenever I wanted it, and then, you know, I, when we got to places, you know, I would drink heavily, uh, and I would, I would refill and kind of keep maybe a third or a half of, in my Nalgene, and then I kept, I would always tell him, because he wasn't always real good about telling me sometimes, he would just drink a bunch, but then when I would see him drink a bunch and he would completely fill his Nalgene, that's when I went, okay, Travis, it's time to water up, we're going up the mountain, and and he then he would he got better about telling me because I, I got on him and I said hey you got I, I said I want to know when you think we're hitting last water and uh, and so I I would carry a full Nalgene um, plus then I would I started going up with a little in my bladder as well I would put about a liter in my bladder and there was a couple of days where we spent the entire day on the very top of the mountain or near the tops and I had I not had the little bit of extra in the bladder, I would have been out of water partway through the day because it, I, I would have had to ration my water basically more, and I wouldn't have been able to drink as much as I wanted to drink uh, when I wanted it. Um, so that's kind of how it was. There was no water pretty much anywhere once you got about midway up where we were midway up and at the top. Um, it was it was all all rocky and. Uh, there was uh, all the water was you know from about one third, you know, up the mountain and, and lower. When you would get to the top, I assume that's like the you know on these ridges where you could see off in the complete opposite direction of probably your camp. Was there just all kinds? Of, I mean, just like you see sheep way off, and you're like, crap, my camp's way back there. I mean, was there ever a time when you said, let's pack our camp to the top and hunt off the ridge lines? off the top or not because there's no water up there no i don't think i don't think i i, I where we where we were hunting in some really really steep and tall country i guess for a lot of his areas it was it, uh, like i said it was probably some of the more you know aggressive country that that i saw when we flew in and flew out um i dang sure wouldn't want to pack my tent and stuff up to the top of those things and stayed up there yeah there was no water up there plus just it was hard enough jay packing 20 25 pounds of you know gear up that sucker you know and then coming back down i mean packing your whole camp um but with no water i mean you'd have had to hike so far to get water just it would have been possible so and then that they just uh you know, 
that pretty much the way they went about it, or the way we went about it, is you 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 know you gained up, you gained elevation, you climbed up, you got, and you just kind of covered all, systematically covered and glassed everything you could, and then you would, you know, once you've glassed everything you could from that spot, you just moved, you know, up the mountain or across ridges or to the next ridge or the next mountain top or whatever until you could see more country that you couldn't see before, and as you just continue to move, you more and more country and folds come into view, and so. Um, and then, you know, you just kind of work through all the country, and if we're not, we didn't see, you know, what we're looking for, um, we, you know, made our way back down and, you know, typically picked up and moved on, you know, further further uh, down the range. Okay. Um, and then once you found the ram, you found on, like, day seven or eight, you found a great ram, and he was with four, three other rams, one other good ram. How much movement? Did that ram, I mean, like, were you bumping the ram? And so he'd, like, well, let me back up. How spooky in general were most of the doll sheep that you encountered? That's the first question. And then once you found the ram, um, how spooky was he and how much ground, like, during a day would he cover if you weren't spooking him? Is he pretty stationary or is he all over the place? So... We we I was actually just looking at my my notes and I it was actually it was actually day ten when I found him I thought it was earlier in the hunt but I was just looking at my notes yeah it was September sixteenth day ten we actually found him my tenth day tenth day and um, we we had we actually unfortunately bumped into him and he bumped into us at the same time we were basically we had kind of come come up over the top of the mountain we came back down the other side our camp is completely behind us and over the mountain now and. We were kind of covering all the country we, we could and then and looking in all these pockets, and there was kind of this, this one kind of, oh, we wanted to go ahead and see the other side of the mountain right where we couldn't see, and so we, we, went, on, we went on down and across, and we were kind of side-hilling across and then kind of across a ridge from us coming around on the opposite side hill. We were side-hilling one way. He was side-hilling. We were basically side-hilling towards each other kind of from across a canyon, if you will, and we walked into each other. And it's really unfortunate because we had been up above this area for hours, weathering storms and all sorts of stuff for hours, up patiently waiting up above earlier. And if that sucker had just walked around that corner while we were up there, we would have been in a great place to go down and stalk him, and, and we, we, we wouldn't have bumped him. Um, and so we were pretty bummed. That, you know, I was, A, really excited that, you know, instantly when we saw the ram, we saw him. It was two ram, four rams actually together. It was two small rams we had seen kind of move that direction. And then when, when they came around the corner, there was four, and two of them were, you know, obviously bigger than anything we'd seen. And one of them was bigger. I mean, he just, it was, he was so much bigger than everything else. It was crazy. And, and I mean, I, did, I didn't, I gave the spotting scope directly to Kelly just so he could look real quick because they were going to get out of sight, you know, in a matter of minutes. And uh, he wanted to get a good look at him. And so I just looked in my tens, and I could tell in my tens that it was a whole other level of class of ram that, that I had not seen. And, and you know, so... And then like you, as much. soon as you saw him, it was like a no-brainer. Like it was oh, like it was that. Abs- so abs- if you would have been rifle hunting, could you have just could you have shot him that day, the first day you saw him? Yeah. If you would have had a rifle, could you have just killed him? Yeah, yeah. It would have been a, it would have been a tough shot because he was moving and he was probably three hundred yards or so. Uh, but yeah, could have could have I could have certainly taken several shots at him before he got out of got out of sight. So, okay, and then how boogery was he? Like he saw you guys, you saw him. What did what did they do? He he went completely around the mountain, um, and but, like running or or what? Like no, he wasn't booking it. He was he was just they were just you know 
moving moving with a purpose. Like you know? those rams that those rams that we spooked off the top down by Brad Desert Sheep, and they ran all the way across the desert floor and up to that other mountain. They were not. They didn't seem like they were that spooked, but you know, but they they were definitely getting out of the country. So, but yeah, they were they were relocating and moving, and, I mean, and we bumped them, and they they bumped around completely around the mountain, and uh, I mean, so they 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 didn't come. We did. They, you know, we were 200 yards at closest when we came kind of face to face. They didn't stop and stare at us. They didn't stop and go, oh, what are y'all guys doing up here? I mean, they 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 whirled around and took off up the mountain, and I mean, and then they they kind of slowed down, you know slow pace and then just kind of work their way up and around. We just watched them go around for a couple of minutes until they, they lost sight. So, you know, we saw some other rams uh, from a distance uh, and ewes and young rams, and, and they boogered uh, from, even from a distance. So I was, I was honestly, everybody had talked about how, and, you know, some of the desert sheep that you and I saw were, were somewhat tolerant of us from, a, from a distances even as five and 600 yards and sometimes some of the rams that I right. saw, but... I know other times they were they were really boogery too. So I, I guess it's just kind of you just never really know. Um, but uh, I I would say they were more wary than I thought they would be. Um, and so yeah, I would. So I, was it I mean, a deal the, if you, if you would have been rifle hunting? Let's say you didn't get any shots off. You watched them go around the hill. I mean, was it a deal if you'd had a rifle? Like okay, let's watch where they go. Let's just sit here. Okay, we're going to relocate them and we're going to kill them. Could I mean the next day? Could you have gone in there with a rifle and smoked them? Yeah, I think so. And so, so, and we 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 got on the ram the next day. And so he bumped around the mountain. We 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 he had, where he went was kind of the direction back around the mountain where our camp was. And so the whole time Kelly's you know he's like oh man there's no telling how far they'll go and this and that and I'm like Kelly maybe maybe he'll just go right around in bed right above our camp. And sure enough, Jay, we hike all the way back around, and we get we get back to camp, and we look up, and there they are, a thousand, you know, yards up the mountain, right above our tents. <laughs> and I mean, and they're they're bedded up there, you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord. Here it is, end of day ten. We finally found the big ram, and now you've planted him, you know, up above my tent. So I went to bed that night. Just, <laughs> I mean, so excited, you know, the next day, hoping that he was going to be right there in that area, and he was. But they they could see our tents. They saw us. They knew we were there, but they were way up there. And, I mean, they kept their eyes on us. And and they it's almost like they kind of wanted to stay way up above us there where they could just kind of keep an eye on us. And, and the way the mountain was, there was uh, the wind – just was not good to approach them where we had, you know, good cover to move in for a stalk. And they set themselves up in a position, the four of them, to where there was no approaching them. And, uh, and so we, we had to sit and watch them forever. And finally then, that late that day, um, on day 11, I got my first stalk, and they, they kind of moved into a position where we thought we'd get a stalk. But as we were moving in on them, I mean, Kelly, Kelly wanted to get out of their sight as soon as he could. I mean, he wanted to get into a ravine and out of their sight as quick as he could. He did not want them to see us even from a thousand, you know, twelve hundred yards away. And so, uh, so you know, he was giving them a lot of respect even from a long distance. And so, um, the uh, that was that was actually that stock was actually my closest uh, I got to him. I, I ended up hiking up and uh, actually got up above them, and uh, they're feeding around, and I, I'm coming over like a real steep cliffy ledge. And uh, I kind of belly crawled up to the edge of it, 
and I'm looking down, and the big rams there, and I can see one of the one of the smaller rams is you know about 60, 70 yards with a distance I would have been willing to shoot, and uh, but the big ram was was about a hundred and hundred and ten is the closest he got to 106, 110, something like that, and I just I just wasn't wasn't willing to take that chance at that that kind of shot, and so uh, um, thought we we're going to get closer uh, or get a better chance, and so uh, we, they kind of were feeding down to the right. So we backed off, came, came around, came back up and over a little further to the right, and they were kind of feeding towards us. And, and uh, one of the younger Rams actually picked off Kelly, um, his head over the top of the ridge, and, and uh, you know they saw him. And I, you know we had bumped him the day before. They'd been watching us down below all day. So after he saw that, I mean they didn't they didn't stick around. I mean they turned they turned around and took off. And so you know that just kind of I guess goes to show you knew. But I mean it's hard to say how much of that was just because we had bumped them the day before and they'd been watching us, you know, down below, you know, so I don't know. But they they certainly didn't give us give us much of an opportunity uh, to make make a mistake, that's for sure. And so we, we were, we, uh, they, they didn't really spook again very far. They went, they went a ways, went, kind of went, kind of hooked around the mountain a little ways. Uh, we hiked back down, got back to camp well after dark that night, went to bed and got up the next day and actually were able to relocate them further down the mountain again and then it just continued like this, Jay. Like I mean, that was like like I said, I was on him for basically what twelve days in a row. And you know, every time, I, every chance he would give me any kind of an opportunity to stalk, I would move in on him and uh, get as close as I could. Um, you know, he would get up, feed, you know, do his thing, mill around, and he just never would close that final distance to me. I needed him to. I just needed him to move my direction. You know, in some cases, you know. 30 or 40 yards, or in some cases, I would need him to come 100 yards or 150 yards, and he just, he would just, every time he went the wrong way. And, uh, yeah. so either he was just really smart or really lucky, or both. And, uh, <laughs> I so. want to circle back real fast on your food. Um, tell me what you did for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, um, on a routine basis as much as you can, and did you have enough? Was there any one food that you wish you would have had or that you said, man, I'm glad I had this? Yeah, so I, I took a Mountain House uh, meal for every breakfast. was very glad I did. Um, like a skillet or what? I took like the breakfast skillet. I took the breakfast skillets, the, the biscuits and gravy, and the blueberries and milk, and I, I rotated them. And I, I took a little bit more of the skillet than I did the others because it just had so many more calories. But I just wanted a variety of flavors, and I liked the way all of them taste. Um, so uh, those were my three breakfast meals that I took. And then I, I made a food bag um, for the midday, um, consisted of, like, macadamia nuts and almond mix. Um, I, I took uh, a uh, – there's, like, a prepackaged little Slim Jim with a little tiny stick of cheese that I, that I found, and, and I took that. And I'll tell you, that, that little Slim Jim with that cheese and those nuts were probably some of the best things I think I ate every day. I, I just look forward to that so much because it was more like normal food. And then uh, I packed, uh, I, I ended up making, the, found these little small Texas flour tortillas, you know, down here. And, and uh, I made little bitty tortilla sandwiches uh, with uh, bacon, uh, peanut butter, and a little bit of honey. And I made, I made one of those for every day. Um, and, so did and you then, take those pre-made, or did you make them every day? No, I I made them at home right before we left. Threw them in a Ziploc, and then you know literally made myself like a daily food bag. So I took like a gallon Ziploc, and I made a daily food bag that consisted of my little bag of nuts, my little Slim Jim stick with the cheese, 
um, my tortilla sandwich with bacon, you know, peanut butter and honey. I took a, a little honey stinger, a little thing of almond butter, uh, Justin's almond butter. Um, I took a, uh, a pro bar uh, for every day and, and stuck that in my food bag. And um, I think that was about it. Um, so you were fine. And then what did you eat for your dinners? What, what exact mountain house did you eat? <clears throat> The one uh, I, I took a variety of them. Uh, my favorite one was the lasagna. I, I just love. I like the way lasagna tastes. Um, but I, the other, one, a really close second was the. Uh, um, it's a like a chicken casserole, homestyle chicken. The homestyle chicken that's really good. Um, but I, I I just I I tried a number of them. Um, just you know on trips and stuff around here and kind of doing some hunting and stuff I was doing in Texas and just found the ones that I liked and kind of looked and compared the calories and fats and stuff and. You know, kind of, I actually put a spreadsheet together with all of it and just kind of figured out which ones were the best and then which ones I liked the best and then just took a variety of them. So, uh, gotcha. the uh, stroganoff, I took the stroganoff and uh, the uh, chicken and rice. Now, were these the pro packs or the two two servings or one no. serving? What, what? I took the big ones. I, I uh, yeah, I took the big ones because I, I just didn't feel like the pro packs were enough. And I, I tell you what, I and I ate everything and I would have eaten more. And uh, okay, so so the two serving the big the big ones you would say definitely go with that because you're hungry as all get out. I was, and I mean, and like I said, I know I've heard other people talk about they take all this food and they don't eat it all, but I that was not an issue for me. I mean, I I had no issue eating it all, and I lost plenty of weight. I'll tell you that. But the uh, but you know eight days eight days in nine days in we you know we were running out of food and and uh, you know we were we were back in that area you know well, well away from the airstrip and so. They uh, they they brought our food bag, our kind of backup food bags, and that extra gear, and then actually did an airdrop, which is pretty darn cool to see the plane fly over at like super slow speed, super close range, and kick out gear, um, which can contain some extra baked goods and treats and goodies, which you know I don't want to give away. I've heard many of Tavis. I've secret. heard that it's either donuts or apple pies, or oh. just, and you eat it in one sitting. There's no rationing, is it? Yes. Well, my Kelly Kelly knew, uh, hid the pie from me and broke it out the next day for breakfast. Thank goodness he didn't eat it all himself. But uh, we had it the next day. <laughs> we'd eat we'd eat it that day. But the uh, so yeah, that was that was. Uh, but yeah, food wise, that's what I did. Um, and you know, I think if I, you know, I probably could go. If I was trying to lighten the whole thing up a little bit, I probably could go with the pro pack, the skillet pro pack for breakfast, um, and and then maybe do like a full meal for dinner. And you might and I might even could you might could mix it up and do some pro pack dinners and some like like full dinners, maybe as kind of a mix. Where if you just kind of mixed it up and you know you didn't, I think you could probably do that and be okay. But I mean I, I know everybody does their own thing on food and stuff like that. But I was. I was really happy with what I took, and I, I think I would do something really similar uh, again. I think that two-pound so mark you, was about right for me. So you wouldn't take your own – I've got a little pocket rocket stove. You would not take your own little stove. If the guide has one, you would just go with one. You would not take your own again? I wouldn't. Nope. Nope. What if not, the stove, was, I mean, like, what if the stove goes <laughs> – what if it doesn't work? What if something happens to it? <laughs> well, so that my Just eat Kelly, it cold. Used, Kelly, yeah, yeah, we burned wood. We we, we 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 boiled our water on a fire. I'd say about a third or more of the time, simply from the standpoint of 
you know, we were rationing fuel uh, at that point. As it was getting colder, the fuel wasn't going as far, and the weather was nasty at camp, base camp, and they couldn't fly for a long time. And so Kelly, basically, every time we, we had a fire, um, which I, Kelly said we had more fires on this sheep hunt than he's ever had on any other one, but um, we ended up camping out a lot and kind of on the ram and watching him from a long distance, waiting for him to move into places we could get stalks. But, um, the uh, yeah, we... we he had a pot that was metal that you could put on a fire, so we would boil water that way. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't – I mean, I, I would not carry my own stove. Um, it was never a problem. Kelly was always up early. Uh, first thing he did was he wanted coffee just like me, which I know you don't drink it, but, um, you know, he would have water going first thing in the morning. He'd say, hey, water's going on. You know, I'd be out of my tent with my coffee cup, and, I mean, it'd be boiling water and, you know – 60 seconds later, and I'd have my first cup of coffee. And then in the evenings, we, I mean, as soon as we got back, we were both hungry and ready to eat. We'd put water on to boil. I mean, we'd sit down next to each other, both, you know, pour water into our mountain houses at the same time. So it was never an inconvenience factor for me um, not having my own stove. Gotcha. Is Let me ask you this. Is waking up in the morning and your guide and you say, okay, let's make a plan. You go up the drainage. I'm going to go down the drainage. We'll meet back here in three hours or six hours and see, and basically covering double the amount of country. Is that not even probably an option up there? Or is that not something you would even want to have done? I would have never wanted to have done it because <clears throat> there's a lot of grizzly bears, and, and I was carrying did you, both. Did you see grizzly? Yes. Yeah, three big, boars. Th- uh, three big boars. Three big boars. Ever met camp or anything? No, we never had any. Any, I never. We never had any camp that I that I knew of, um, and uh, we never had. We never saw any of them at close range. So, okay. But uh, but I mean, yeah, you definitely knew they were there. We saw you know saw some tracks and definitely saw some at distance. But um, yeah, no, I wouldn't have done that because I didn't have a, I didn't have a rifle or weapon, but other than a bow, and so I just don't know that I don't know that you'd want to do that either. Um, so much of the time, you know, you can you, so you can cover and glass all the country that you're near just by going straight up and getting elevation. Right. So you can go okay. you can go up together and, and you know see, kind of see everything, and then you kind of <clears throat> we would basically work and make big big you know loops and pushes and you know around and to cover all the country we could. And so I would think you'd want to be together because it could happen fast and you could see the ram and you know. You know, I have to be able to score I, it and age yeah, it. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't know enough about what I was looking at to to be able to say for sure. And they certainly wouldn't have trusted me because <laughs> I'd have shot. I'd have shot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, um, I I doubt that would be a method your guide would be comfortable with. I'll got a couple more questions, then we'll wrap it up here. Um, from what from what you saw with that ram, or from what Kelly was saying, was that ram acting pretty much just like? A, a regular mature ram in other words do you feel like you know getting to watch him for you know seven eight ten more days after that or whatever you were on him every day um until you fu- the final day when he walked off like is that normal activity in other words if you find a ram most of the time you can get back on him and get him shot with a rifle i would think so i mean it would it wouldn't have been any issue at all to most of the time, there was there was several times that he was in places that you couldn't even got to him with a rifle, um, unless you were willing to take a really long shot. Um, but most of the time, you know, when we were when he would move into a place and there was a chance to go make a stalk, it was it would have been 
you know, would have been very, very easy to get into a position to make an effective rifle shot, and, you know, you would have gotten yourself into a position, I think, where you could get within two to 300 yards and, you know, you know, make, make, have a good chance at a, at a good shot. So I don't think it would have been any issue um, at all. And I think, I think if okay. you, you find him, I think if you find one, most likely you're going you're gonna to have, there's going to be a way to, to get on him and get a shot. So it's just finding the finding them and finding that right ram, and then uh, All right. hopefully. Okay, um, Brian Rimza talked about one thing that he said that he would bring in a heartbeat next time is a a little tarp, and a tarp meaning that you could put trekking poles up and have a little bit of shelter when you're up on a ridge and weather comes in. Do you see that being something that you would be willing to carry? Um, to have the benefit of that. Yeah, I can I can see how that would be nice. I mean, there was there were several times that we were basically weathering out storms, and we just put all put all of our rain gear on, kind of hunkered up against a rock, and uh, you know, but in most most of the time, our storms didn't last all that long, and so it was. Uh, and if it was, if it did seem like it was going to just really last a long time, well, there's really no point being up on top of the mountain anyway. Um, so the, you, cause you can't glass. And so I, I think that I didn't really think about that during my hunt as something I would have really wanted, but I can looking back on it, you know, I think that might be something worth considering for sure. They have to be the right okay. one. I, I, I don't really have one, something like that. I'd have to look at one and find one that I think would be light enough, easy enough to pitch that would be, you know, that I could use. Okay. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, is there any any um, last-minute advice or anything that you would say, um, make sure to take this or make sure to do this or do that? Um, you know, some gear we didn't talk about was some of the electronics and stuff. Um, the uh, I was really, really, really glad I took my phone, my, 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 my cell phone. Um, so I used my iPhone. And I, just, I just got a new I just got a new iPhone X and. I got it new for, I mean, my other one was pooping out, but this one ha is going to have a good long battery, and my other one was just the battery was, so go ahead. You, you're pumped yeah. that you took your cell phone, and I, I know you had your maps on there as well. Yeah, so I did that, and I bought a new iPhone like a month before the trip. Um, I put it in a new life-proof case, um, and I did use the, uh, the, the mapping app that I told you about. It's, uh, um, uh, gosh, the name escaped me at the moment. Motion X, um, Motion X, and and you can you can before you leave uh, Norman Wells, uh, or when you're in Edmonton as well, you can cache those uh, cache kind of those areas um, by scrolling around and looking at them. And that was it was nice to have that um, that topo, and uh, they they can, the guys will have topo maps, and so it's not it's not hugely critical, but it's also kind of fun to be able to you know kind of see where you're going and check all your stuff your own stuff out too. Um, but being able to shoot my own video, my own pictures, and also be able to, I used, I used uh, um, iBooks on my phone, and I, I downloaded a bunch of books and books, on, uh, not only uh, like, like, you know, the read, can you read, but the audio books. And I would listen to audio books sometimes at night in my tent or when the weather was really bad in the tent. Um, I took some earbuds uh, to use with my phone so that because it will yep. save a lot, a lot of your battery when you're listening to audio books to do, use it with earbuds instead of your speaker. Yeah. Um, and that, I was really glad I had that. 
um, the uh, I, I took a uh, Poseidon uh, dark energy charger, and yeah. uh, I took the Goal Zero solar charger, and I you know I had my sat phone you know which was an Iridium Go which connected Bluetooth to my iPhone or actually I think Wi-Fi to my iPhone, um, and I could use my iPhone to text and make phone calls with. Um, which was really awesome because I could put that outside the tent when it was raining, put the antenna up, you know, be inside my tent out of the rain and be able to text and talk to my family. Um, so it's waterproof? Totally. Yep. That's pretty totally. awesome. It is awesome. So, so, I mean, could you text normal and get a normal response time back, or was there always a delay? Uh, there's a delay. Um, and But there's a free – so you, I rented it from um, – I think it's Global Star. Um, I rented the sat phone, bought bought some you know minutes and stuff, you know packages stuff for it, and then um, they actually have like an app that your your family uh, or friends you can they can use, and they can send you unlimited text messages for free, which is really cool. That my my wife and my kids and you know mom and everybody could they could send me text messages and stuff you know whenever for free, and anytime I would Not turn pictures, it on. Not pictures though, just. Just photos, no. just text, right? Yeah. Just text, yeah, just text and no photos. And then, uh, so, you know, but it was cool. Every time I, you know, every time I'd get to, you know, back to camp at night, I would turn on the sat phone once I got in my tent after I'd eaten, and I would just, you know, turn my phone on, connect it, and then I would just let it update, and then all the texts would kind of roll in, and I, I could read messages from my family. And uh, for a, a trip that long, which that was probably the toughest thing, it was that was the longest trip I've ever been on my life, and, and uh, being away from my family that long was really tough, and, and uh, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going cheap hunting again, but I, I, I don't think I'll do another trip that long again um, until the, my kids are quite a bit older. So, yeah. but the, the, the electronics and stuff, and, of course, my headlamps, I used, uh, you know, the, some of the Petzl stuff and um, really liked the way the headlamps performed, and the, uh, they were all rechargeable headlamps as well. I, I never had to recharge my headlamps. We, did, we didn't use them that, that much. Um, you, I don't even know that you're going to have to take a headlamp, are you? And most guys are saying don't even take one because it's never even dark. Um, what yeah, about I, mosquitoes? Guys are saying the mosquitoes will carry me away. Okay, um, well, by, you know, by the time I was there, it was freezing, you know, so the, the mosquitoes weren't an issue for me. But, you know, you better listen okay. to the guys that have been there that time of year that know. I don't know. Um, okay. But as far as electronics go, your, your, your trip's only 10 days. Mine was long. You know, I, I knew I could be out there longer. I would probably not take the solar charger, and I would take two of those energy, those 10,000-milliwatt energy packs. It actually would save you weight because um, one of those weighs less than the solar charger, and I think that will be enough juice for 10 days. I only had to charge right. the sat phone once. The battery on it lasts a really long time. Gotcha. That's all good stuff, man. Great information uh, for sure. And oh, I'm looking else, forward Jake. to something yeah. else I forgot. Um, so uh, remember, I told you I lost my gators. Yeah. So the luckily Tavis had told me that a lot of guys like to bring Velcro straps, and so I just went on to Am- Amazon and found some vel- some real simple Velcro straps. They have like a little plastic buckle and just you know just a Velcro that's about you know half inch wide Velcro and. I found yep. some that would go around my gaiters, and he said that some guys like to run those uh, around to around their crocs um, to keep their crocs from coming off in the river, which were, it worked out great because it helped. It, you know, could it help? I kind of ran it around the heel strap and around my the front of my foot to keep 
the croc from coming off when I was in swift water. And then I, I, so he said some guys would use them around their gaiters to kind of help make an additional kind of tight fit between your gaiter and the top of your boot. So when you're kind of in a lot of stream crossings, but it's not really deep water, but it's deep yep. enough to where it's up into your gaiters, it keeps the water from pushing up between your gaiter and your boot. And it helps you kind of cross those streams really fast without having to crock up, and you can move a lot faster through a lot of those wetter areas. So I did that, right. and that worked out great. And then, then it was a saving thing for me because I didn't have gaiters. So when I got into really wet stuff and, you know, kind of that kind of quick stream crossing stuff, I just ran those, those uh, Velcro straps around my rain pants um, and, uh, and used them like a gaiter. And so uh, okay. anytime it was wet or dewy or whatever, I would just wear my rain pants instead of my other pants. I'd take my other pants off, put them in my pack, and I'd just wear my rain pants. And so, and then, you know, once we would get up on the mountain where all the vegetation was gone, you know, uh, I would take, you know, my rain pants off and put my other pants back on. And uh, so that's what I ended up having to do because I didn't have the gaiters. So the, uh, but the, yeah, the Velcro straps were definitely, they weigh nothing and that they turned out to be really handy for that. How much brush busting did you do on the whole trip? Not a ton. There's not that much. A lot of the areas, it's not that brushy. Um, it's really okay. pretty easy country to get around in and move move through. There was okay. some willow. There's some willow willows in places and some willow country and stuff that we we pushed through a little bit. But I mean, nothing like Alaska. Yeah. Well, man, I appreciate all the info, and um, I'm definitely working on my gear list. I've been prepping, and um, I've had people say that you can prepare all you want, but there's not you can never prepare enough. So it's like, dang, I, you know, that's it's a little intimidating from that perspective. But um, uh, most people live through it, so I, that's all we can do, right? Just keep pushing. And you're just soak it up like a sponge, man. Enjoy every minute of it. And uh, it'll be over before you know it once you get there, and you'll be flying home being like, oh, my gosh, it's already over. So even even as long as my trip was, I mean, it was like I couldn't believe how fast it went by once I was actually out there. So um, I hope really That's awesome. Sounds like a heck of an adventure for sure. Oh, it was an unbelievable adventure, and I'm and, uh, so glad that I went. And um, I've seen that monster of sheep and getting to chase him and have the experiences I did was so awesome and it, it sure it sure lit a fire for me to go back and try it again and I definitely want to get one so um, I shall wish you the best of luck and uh, wish you safety and and uh, sure uh, can't wait to hear from you all right buddy sounds good thanks so much for your time God bless tell your brother and the family hello and um, uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted as my progress okay okay Jake take care all right, buddy. Thanks.